0: and I could hear it all in my head, I could hear all the harmonies, that ah! It's all about um, thunder and lightning, you know, flash, blah, blah, the thunder comes. So it goes, um, I wonder if I can still play it. <laughs> that kind of stuff, and what, what everybody loves is the
1: podcast, it's going to be unorthodox as hell, but I don't care, we haven't recorded one in a while, but with me tonight is Suzanne, how are you?
2: Greetings! It was actually nice in Chicago today, until I got off work, and then it it got cold and cloudy.
1: It's supposed to rain though, huh girl?
2: Yeah, damn it, but hey, nice weather's on the way, right? Yeah,
1: it was a nice day today, I took the dogs out like five times today, and bus Buster still didn't know what to do in the yard, just kept staring at me and... Just hang out the other side of the fence like he's going to Auschwitz or something, you know.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Naya tried to dig more holes. Mm-hmm. Um, she ate a rock and a stick.
1: All right, there you go. It's good, good luck yeah. passing that, Naya. You know, <laughs> yes, we're talking about our animals in the weather, and that's just what we do on this show sometimes. So, but like I said, this is going to be orthodox, uh, the big bulk of this show. Is gonna be a review of Life After Flash and the uh, wonderful interviews that I, I poorly conducted because I'm not—I don't know if that great at this to do interviews, but you know, with uh, filmmaker Lisa Downs of that documentary and uh, one Sam Jones, uh, Flash Gordon himself, laying some truth on me, you know, getting real real on me. So, but I'm warning you now if you if you're one of those people who are like a diehard atheist and you're one of those man, man fuck your fucking Lord and Savior and all that shit. Well, you might not like little parts of the interview, because Sam found Jesus, and, you know, it it made him a better man, so poo-poo on you, if you, if you don't like it. Uh, <laughs> but um, right now, we're, we're going to skip the beef of the week as well, we're going to skip all because we had stuff we're upset about, but it's overtly political, and we're not going to go there, so I, I, I don't want to do that. I'll leave that to the, the professionals, like Darren, who, you know... He's not a rabble rouser. He loves that political stuff. He's more well learned about the political stuff than I am. So, but tonight, where we're here, uh, we're gonna review a couple of mini reviews here. Uh, we watched The Dirt on Netflix, and uh, here's a trailer for The Dirt.
0: It could have happened to anybody, but it didn't. It happened to us. A new band is going to be something nobody's ever seen before.
2: Oh my God, those are my pants.
0: But they look so much better on me. We got a runaway, a kid drummer, an old man. Let's just play it. A cover band singer. They say you're going to be a rock star. What do you think? Holy shit. If we want to knock people on their asses, then we've got to give them a show. I'm talking like a stadium show in the clubs. The fans, they're dying for some anarchy.
3: So let's give it to them. I work for Electra Records. You guys like a record too?
0: I had managed the Scorpions, Bon Jovi, Skid Row, KISS. But I have never been through what Motley Crue put me through.
1: I am sick and tired of not having any fun.
3: Everything's upside down and flip-flopping. Motley Crue, no strangers to controversy. Since
0: Neil was charged with vehicular manslaughter. Tommy
3: Lee and Heather Locklear have separated.
0: It's a degenerative bone disease. Nikki Six has overdosed. I know it's not gonna be easy. But I believe in you guys. Win it all or lose it all. We are Mali crew.
1: Sue, uh, The Dirt, uh, it's a Netflix original. This is a film based on the book by Motley Crue. They've been trying to make this film for a long, long, long fucking time. Finally, Jeff Tremaine, of all people, the guy that, that, that helped create Jackass, made this comedic and dramatic c- kind of great film, in my opinion. But I, you've read the book a lot more than I have, I've ever read it since like the eighth grade. So a lot of book comparison stuff. Suzanne will have a lot more insight about. Suzanne, uh, what's your initial thoughts on The Dirt from 2019?
2: Oh, my God. The only thing that would have made that movie more fun would have been an eight ball and a bottle of Jack. I'm also, I may as well just state this, Motley Crue is my second favorite band of all time ever. And I reread The Dirt uh, the week before the movie came out. So, I guess, you know, some of the comparisons, um, it was pretty damn spot on. I thought that the actors really portrayed their characters very, very well, especially the dude who played Nikki Six. And even the guy who played Tommy was just, he had that kind of fun loving, kind of, kind of dopey, maybe not, maybe a little dopey, but just this, you know, wants to experience every ounce of life to the fullest. The only one I was slightly questionable about was Vince, the guy who played Vince. But I think all in all the 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 actors portrayed their parts well, and the guy who played Mick Mars also did a fantastic job as well. Okay, so acting aside, you know, I really thought that they did a great job. And they pulled the the best parts of the book and I don't think we really needed to go into you know all the childhood trauma because this is about Motley Crue. Yeah, you know, this is this is the fucking party band. This is the insane debauched 80s. This is what we wanted to see and this is exactly what we got and I applaud Jeff Tremaine cuz he did a great job of pulling those elements from the book right down to the Ozzy Osbourne snorting fire ants and, you know, licking Nikki Sixx's pee off of off the poolside. You know, this is like, this story has been told, I've heard it, got in so many interviews from a lot of different places. And, yeah, this is like rock and roll legends. The music, well, of course, it's Motley Crue music. And I think the the main part that kind of carried through the entire story was in Nikki's increasing addiction to heroin, and you know the, the making dumb mistakes and being basically a junkie. I don't think anyone. I mean, I I even had to go back and watch some old Motley Crue stuff from that era, it's like, wow, he really was fucked up. I mean, at the point in time I watched it, I'm like, I I, I never really thought about that angle of it and his, you know, increasing addiction. But you can just tell he is fucked up. And most of them were. They were either drunk high or, you know, Vince banging their manager's girlfriend backstage. Oh, I was rolling.
1: She's funny, man.
2: Oh, my God. I, I just think he truly brought, you know, the th- those portions of the book to life. Like I said, we really didn't need to get into very much of the John Karabi years because, you know, let's admit it, it, it wasn't a good album. I know they still talk highly of it. It was Motley Crue week on Hair Nation, uh, yeah, the week, the movie premiered, so there were lots and lots of stories. And you know, Nikki was even trying to say some nice stuff about John Karabi. John Karabi is not Vince Neal, Motley Crue did not do well without Vince Neal, and Vince Neal did not do well without Motley Crue. They are a functioning or dysfunctional unit. And I think they really another thing they did was uh, when Vince lost his daughter to cancer. And I'm really glad because that was such a big part of what happened to him afterward.
1: People are being so petty about that, too, because I hear that <laughs> the timeline isn't correct on that. That people are like just naysaying about stuff like, yeah, but they still. Okay, yeah, the
2: timeline is off. I, I'll admit that, but it's it's necessary to understand Vince's character. And yeah, the timeline in, in a few places was way off. But, you know, that's kind of for me, it was beside the point. I think it was It was just fun. I swear I wanted to tease my hair and get an eight ball and a bottle of Jack, you know? <laughs> it brought back those memories for me. I just really and truly enjoyed the movie. I haven't seen a movie that made me that excited and it in a long time hats off to netflix for doing it finally thank you i
1: loved it now nudie are you listening better than bohemian rhapsody i'll throw it out there okay it, it just is i mean bohemian rhapsody got a lot right as far as like as uh, whatever you know the, the freddy stuff the, the best part about the movie for me is the live Aid performance but this film was like a non-stop you know Ooh, ooh, ooh. Motley Crue roller coaster. Yeah, the, I mean, they, they 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 did stuff with the videos that, that that brought it back. You know, Tommy Lee and the rotating drum kit. I've heard bitching about that too. About that timeline's wrong. I was like, just just have fun yeah, with it. Yeah, like
2: I said, the, yeah, the timeline is off, but the 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 story in general is correct. And they only, I was I was really hoping this would be one of those movies. It was going to be two and a half hours long, and it
1: came in at, at, what, a cool hour 45? Uh, yeah, yeah, just around, right around then. It could, they could have made it like a, a three-part epic, but I think one of the most, most brilliant things that they did about the movie is the fourth wall stuff because, you, just like you said, there's a lot of tragic stuff in the book, but they address it right away But then the movie. You don't want to hear about that. You know, all that stuff. It, 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 basically, they're, they're not catering to... They're catering to the crew fans that know a lot about this, what happened, and that's fine, because, th- do you want to see it all played out on screen? No, you'd have a fucking, like, five-hour miniseries or something about this, and I think
2: I don't think we need to see, you know, Nikki's tragic childhood. Yeah. We don't need to see that. Got- they gave us they gave us a few shreds of that, and I had a little bit of the closeness that Tommy has with his family cuz mm-hmm. their his family is very tight knit. Yeah. You get nothing about Vince's family. No. And Mick was always was the oldest by a lot. He'd already had many lifetimes before he had joined Motley Crew.
1: Yeah, the, the stuff with the, you got you got just enough with Nikki Sixx's family, I think. And that that, that was enough to know. About what his upbringing, you know, absentee mother, fa- father left, don't really know who his father is, yada yada yada, till the end of the movie, of course, and even then you're not so sure. But, uh, <laughs> um, one thing I can say about this film, it made me like Pete Davidson for two hours, and I hate that motherfucker from Saturday Night Live. I, I hate him so much, and they made me like him as, as the manager of-, of the band in this movie. Is that where he came from? Yeah, he's from Saturday Night Live. And, I haven't watched Saturday Night Live in years, so yeah, I had no it's, clue. It's too overtly political for me, and um, oh god, there's there's so much to love. The the, the story's all played out like Suzanne said, and um, you you didn't get a ton of you know it, it, it moved very fast, and I I think that it worked to its detriment. And the actors that played them were real fine. I I don't I'm not really a fan <laughs> of Machine Gun Kelly, but I am now because of his portrayal of Tommy Lee. You know. <laughs> Uh,
2: yeah, that was really surprising to me.
1: Mm-hmm. And I love, I love the end credits. You gotta, gotta, gotta watch through the whole end credits because they have a lot of that. You know, here's how we filmed, it and here's how it really happened. You know, back and forth. You know, I, I love that. Um, yeah, so so much. There's so much dig about the dirt. Even if you don't, if you're just slightly aware who Motley Crue is, I think this was a film that was made for you as well because it it allows you to get to know them but not really shoving it in your face. And I, I appreciate Jeff Tremaine for making it that way. And, yeah, I um, do
0: too.
1: The band had a co-producer credit on this, so you know they had a lot to say about what went in the film. So, oh, yeah. All you crew fans are out there that bitching about the little, little things. The band had something Shut to up. say. Yeah, they had something to say about what went in the film. So I, I don't see what you guys are complaining about. Just watch the end credits. It says it right there, co-producers. And all four of their names are on there. So.
2: I and I am one of the biggest crew fans. Mm-hmm. And I understood that the, the way things were done and the reason they were done, they did not stray from the actual story. They strayed away from a lot of things. I mean, the like I said, the the tragic parts, you know, when Razzle was killed in Vince's Pantera, although it was my only bitch, and it was a minor bitch, is it like, it's a Pantera, not a Corvette. But oh, yeah. where are you going to get a, a, a Pantera? Exactly. <laughs> And I, I just I think they just brought to light the best things.
1: And we didn't get Fat Vince in this. I appreciate that movie that we didn't get Fat Vince <laughs> in this, because nobody wants to see that, you know.
2: No, I, I saw I saw Fat Vince at a motorcycle rally, in and, some and, the, and I'm, not,
1: I'm not I'm not fat shaming the man, but he did get rather heavy from his skinnier self over the years.
2: Oh yeah, I mean I I don't have a problem with that, but um. At least cover it up with a leather jacket. So when I saw him, he had this shirt that it it just was not a flattering look for
1: him. Fat guys wear dusters very well, Vince. Is all I'm saying. They they cover they cover up the gut pretty well. in uh yeah. Truth be told, I had a duster back in high school because I'm I'm still fat. So there you go. I uh... <laughs> a duster. Oh my gosh! But uh, yeah, there's a lot to love about this film. Watch it on Netflix if you haven't seen it. Even if you're not a fan of the band, if you want to watch. The the epitome of excess and rock and roll. Uh, w- watch the dirt, read the dirt after if you want to. If you want to, I recommend it. I've been a long time since Suzanne just read it again, so she she was she was ready and raring to go for this picture, and she ain't bitching at all. Crew fans, she loves it. So there you go. And like I said,
2: I am the I'm a huge Motley Crew fan. I've seen them eight times. Plus, I saw Fat and Vince perform solo once. I'm a fan.
1: You're invited, and I saw you, final tour. You're invited, but fan. your friends can't come. I remember that song from... Uh, <laughs> that was a song from Encino Man that was a solo Vince project. I remember that shit.
2: Oh, God. that and, You know, and it, the, the song actually did sound like Motley Crue, though.
1: Yes, it did. And I'm sure he wasn't trying very hard for it. Not sounding like Motley Crue, but, you know, but... Come see, come see. Suzanne, what do you give it? One out of ten.
2: Oh, my God. I really want to give it a 10. I do. I desperately want to give it a 10. I'm probably going to give it a 10, but I also want to say something. I've, I was listening to Eddie Trunk when I was driving home the other day, and he was talking about the difference between a documentary and a biopic. And I think this is for all of the, all of the haters out there. You know, you can take Bohemian Rhapsody, which has so many fa- – there are so many things that are wrong – that are not factual with Bohemian Rhapsody. And it's not so much that there's things in the dirt that are not factual. Yeah, they're told a little bit out of order, which makes it a biopic and not a documentary.
1: Well, I think the advantage that this has over Bohemian Rhapsody is that the band can still speak for themselves. Freddie cannot speak for himself, obviously. He's, he's, Uh -uh. He's long gone, long passed away still in our hearts, but long passed away. But that's that's the big kicker here, that the band had a lot of input into this movie, and they had a lot of input, I'm sure, into the script and how, how it was all laid out. And I think that that's what excels this movie, is that it's just, it gives you the excess without making it X-rated, because I'm sure this film... Oh, um, very possibly.
2: With I mean, I'm really surprised in the first 30 seconds of film that that did not automatically get it dumped. It <laughs> yeah. and NC Seventeen. Yeah, and if you haven't seen the movie, you need to watch it because I'm not sharing any more than that.
1: Oh man! Well, so, what do you give it, to?
2: I'm, I'm, you know what? Because I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I watched it two more times, and I am yeah. just gonna straight up. I, I really, I'm just gonna give it a ten. I don't care. I, I, I love it. I love it so much. And when it gets a Blu-ray release, I will own that as well because I love it that much.
1: Cool. Yeah, I, I dug it. You know, I, I, I we've talked a, at length about this so far. There's not a whole lot wrong with it, except for Vince's performance. The guy who played Vince's performance in parts.
0: And it's
2: not like he's bad. But hes, he's It's bad. just not. It just doesn't feel like Vince to me. Everybody else felt like the character they were playing, and he just did not feel like Vince to me
1: but it's got boobs, it's got drugs, it's got excess, it's got rocking fucking roll. It's damn near perfect. So for that damn near perfect, I I had to give it a 9 cuz I'm not the biggest crew fan that Sue is. So I'm sure that one that one rating would be pushed up to an 11 as they say, you know, but uh
2: it's, I almost gave it an 11. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, <laughs> it's a 9 for me. You know, that 11 is only, only reserved for one band. Come on, Sue, you know this. But, uh... Oh,
2: I know, which <laughs> we're going to have to do at some point very soon.
1: Yeah. Well, X, X will be a part of that because X that's one of X's favorite things. And if X wasn't a part of that, I'd be very upset about it with myself and not including him. You
2: know? Yeah, whenever I walk into a room of people I don't know, I will yell out,
1: Hello, Cleveland! <laughs> Come on, mime is money, mime is money. Uh anyway, um Suzanne watched a film that I did not get to watch. Um we got to meet Diane Franklin, which we'll do a little convention recap after this review. But uh Suzanne watched the brand new Emmanyville Murders, I think from from released last, last year. year, I think. Yeah. But it's it's, yeah, it's the, will... the newest one.
2: Yeah, I tried to squeeze it in for the year end, but nobody was carrying it. So I'm going to make it my 2018, 2019. It's going to be on my 2019 list because I had no access to it
1: well, tell in us, 2000. Tell us all about it, Sue.
2: Well, I mean, anybody, even remotely a horror movie fan or, you know, likes actual ghost stories or hoaxes that are played pretty well is. Ghost stories is familiar with the Amityville story and the Amityville murders, where Ronald Ronald DeFeo Jr., better known as Butch, killed his entire family. And this one, it's as Diane said, is the Amityville to the Possession is actually, it's basically the prequel, which tells the story of the murders, although in a very kind of fucked up light. And in this movie, she was the daughter in Possession. And in this movie, she came back and was playing the mother, Louise. So basically, it's a kind of a recap. But they're also, if you've watched any of the documentaries on Ronald DeFeo talking about the murders, and he was saying that Don was a little bit more of a part of it. um, This one kind of focuses, it's basically about the murders. But, you know, Don is a bigger player in this movie. So they did take the supernatural bend on it. One of these days, I hope somebody will take it and just do the straight up, you know, story of the murders. But I guess maybe with all of the stories that, you know, Butch has told that people are just grasping on to the supernatural element. But I, I think they did a really good job without being so in your face with it. The light supernatural touches were... It was very well done. It was very creepy. I was really... I had a great time watching it. I thought it was a good movie. There's probably a good chance I'm going to end up adding it to my collection. I really enjoyed it. I thought they did a great job. Like I said, most of the story, if you've read anything, you know the story. I, you know, a little bit, you know, the same thing. There are a few more of the supernatural elements than... Actually, I really, it's hard to say that after possession. But honestly, it was just, it was very well done. The actors were great. And the guy whose name escapes me, who played uh, the father, who usually plays a heavy in stuff, he actually played a heavy. But there are certain parts where you actually saw that he had a heart, which actually surprised me a little bit because um, the actual father was just. It, <sighs> Abusive asshole, but this movie well worth your time if you're into the Amityville stuff. I recommend
1: it. Is that Paul Ben? Paul Ben Victor? He's a character actor. I've seen lots of stuff. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. His
2: name escaped me completely, but yeah, he usually plays the heavy.
1: Yeah, he does.
2: And he does it well. And he is one of those guys. I mean, he's not a big dude, but he's got. He, he I guess, he's just got the, the hutzpah. Carry that off, yeah. And he didn't really get all the actors in this movie were good. I thought it was a good movie. I did, I did enjoy it, but I'm also you know big into the Amityville legend.
1: Well, you with like Dollhouse and the, the Grandfather. Oh, father, Dollhouse or, was
2: god. so bad. Oh my god. <laughs> but the thing is, I watched it. The I know there, there's I...
1: there's some shit ones in there. I know. I'm just I'm just grasping straws here.
2: <laughs> oh there was one that Google Play gave away for free. So of course I went and got it. Well, it's
1: not terrible. I haven't watched it yet. It's not it's not terrible. It's not great, but it's not terrible. So I just I, I haven't uh, watched it. A Medieval Awakening I think it is.
2: Yeah, something that I can't re- I can't remember the what it is off the top of my head. It's
1: it's not bad. It doesn't suck. Uh, it's not great, but it don't suck though. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot that Diane mentioned that Burt Young and Laney Kazan both show up in this film, so I forgot all about that.
0: Yeah, I, 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 mean, they...
1: <laughs> I, I carry a small torch for Laney Kazan. I love her and and stuff. And
2: she, oh, uh, she's great.
1: Yeah, oh my gosh. So, what, what would you give this one? One out of ten to, 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 to recommend to
4: people?
2: I'd probably put this one at about maybe seven and a half. It's very enjoyable. And they just added a few elements being, you know, well-versed on the legend. I call it a legend because I, I don't know what else to call it because it's not a true story. Gotcha. <laughs> the burgers are a true story.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm just going to be flopping for my words here for a
1: minute.
2: <laughs> but it's, it's a good movie. It was an hour and a half that I did not feel were wasted.
1: Cool. Yeah, um... Yeah, next up, we're going to do this little thing. Me and Suzanne went to a convention together, and I went to one the day after. But uh, the one we went to together would be the Hollywood show. Uh, They put on on three of these every year, one in California, one in Vegas, and one in Chicago. We went to the Chicago one, naturally. Met some people there. uh, Mostly positive. One, you may have heard Suzanne ranting about. Uh, And this is the closest thing we're going to have to a beef of the week. So Suzanne, tell us how much you love Mr. John Cusack and all of his glory, and tell us what happened. What a fucking asshole. We want the full rundown so that people can hear you talk about all this stuff. You know.
2: <laughs> oh wow, um, dismissive. Um, I will go down in history as Z and two Ns. <laughs> yeah, he's like personalized. I'm like, yeah, what the what, whatever. And it just did not even look up. Didn't even take his sunglasses off. Not even a hi or a thank you. Do you want it personalized? Yeah, Suzanne's E2Ns. But he was even more dismissive of somebody in line in front of me. And I got a little pissed off about that. Because he seriously broke this woman. And I really don't care who you are. If you cannot show a modicum... Of decency cons are not the place for you you don't know what's going on in people's life this may be something they've been looking forward to for a long time and maybe they don't have a lot of disposable income and they had to save up a little bit for this because you for $80 I got to call you an asshole but you know if you can't treat people with a little bit of decency just stay away from cons you're an asshole your rep she's an asshole too And I just Uh, wish I could have made her cry. I was close, but she ran out of the bathroom.
1: (sighs) Yeah, this is one of the things, Suzanne, she didn't scold me after I, 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 she spent the money, but basically, you don't know, I've met him before, I've met him twice, and one time he actually smiled at me, the, the son of a bitch, you know, and then fist bump, I think he was sick that day, I don't care. But, you know, you think you'd be different, you know, with, with, with women. Sometimes they're like that. And I, I was I was horribly wrong because uh, a, a friend of the show, Lacey Lou, from uh, One Cut to the Chase, she said she had the same exact experience that Suzanne had with him. So if you're thinking of spending that $80 on that John Cusack experience, don't just expect... Just
2: say yeah,
1: no. Just say
2: no. Set your money on fire. Put the money in your hand and don't, slam a door don't, on your hand. Don't it will be party.
1: more enjoyable. You could spend it on something more awesome than, than John Cusack. And I know that's not really hard to do as far as finding something more awesome than John Cusack. That's one of those things where I I I, I still like a good handful of his films. I, I could look past the, the man and still like the films, I guess, because it's one of those things where... I feel the same way about Billy Zane. I met Billy Zane and Horror Han Weekend. He was a smug piece of shit. Lori Petty was kinda smug. She was kind of in her own world. But you know what those two people? I could still like their movies and think and, and not think of that past experience. But like, like Suzanne said, she had she had a she seen this woman in the bathroom. She didn't say all this yet, but she this woman spent all of her money on this schmuck, not knowing that she did this, and Suzanne gave her money to go home and possibly getting some, get something to eat. Who knows? She gave her like 30 bucks, which is the good Samaritan move of the day. And God God bless you, Sue. It's it's a, it's a good yeah, thing. I,
2: should, I really wish I, but like I said, the rep was there and I was more into, I wanted to make sure she saw me being nice to this person.
1: <laughs> I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. I'm not going to lie to you. Because uh, unruly women... If you're going to fuck with somebody you don't know, my friend Suzanne, she she, she, she might destroy you. With, with her hair alone, she might destroy you. But okay. it, <laughs> it, might, it might come to life like Medusa and fucking just suck the life out of you or something. And uh yeah, f- fuck that guy, but we had we had much better experiences after that. Oh got, god, yeah. Yes, yeah, so that th- that made up for that debacle I think cuz Diane Franklin is a lovely person. So if you ever, oh, she uh, is. If you ever want to go pull the trigger on somebody that's really lovely, really nice, anybody else on that fucking floor would have done real fine. But she was one of the shining points. Uh, can't say an unkind word about it anyway because we, we asked the hard questions. Like, is oh, he yes. like this all the time, this John Cusack, who was there for one day and left at 2 o'clock, people. He left at 2 o'clock. People drove hours and hours and hours to, to, to meet this asshole. And he just... Bounced, and that—that uh, that was some more shit. But we're not gonna have a John anymore. John's terrible. Diane's awesome. He sucks. Yeah, he just sucks. She's awesome, I, though.
2: Am I still gonna go back and watch Gross Point Blank? Although I think the funniest person in the movie is Dan
0: Aykroyd. Yeah, yeah. Popcorn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, one of these days we'll do that movie. I, I don't care if it's Cusack, you know, whatever. I still I like love that. the movie. I love the soundtrack. But I got me a nice TerraVision print from uh, from Diane, and uh, Suzanne got the nice Amityville print from Diane, and she's gonna t- she's gonna talk to us in an interview eventually. That's gonna happen, people. So get ready for that, uh, Susie Puterman. You are my dream girl, Susie. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, other folks, you know, Ari Lehman, one of the best guys you ever want me I know people talk about, oh, he's only done that one thing, but you know what? He he wrote that. He one does thing. it well. He does it well. He's a musician. He makes hot sauce apparently. So he gave he gave Suzanne some hot sauce.
0: You
2: know. Yes, he did. He felt bad that John Cusack really pissed me off that bad. So I got my my signed Jason one pop, a bottle of hot sauce, and just a really awesome conversation with him. Ari is a blast. If you want to just sit and shoot the shit with somebody, Ari is your guy, because
1: he will sit and talk to you. I've yelled out his name in the street, like, Ari, and he, he always makes time for you. Go to yeah. Ari, shake his hand, you know. See, even in public, he, he's a class act, and I, I the only one he's required to, to, to do anything for you and take your money for, you know, for minimal cost, yeah.
2: <laughs> He's just a really, really cool dude. I like Ari a lot.
1: Oh, one other person we met was uh, I. I got in line for my mama. Suzanne got in line for another pop vinyl. Um, <laughs> There's a theme. <laughs> here's a theme. Met Richard Thomas from uh Stephen King's It and The Waltons, of course. I had to be for my mama because my mama loves The Waltons. I love it. Yes, I love it, yes, I love it well. Stuttering Bill. He's a uh, he didn't, and, age, he didn't age at all, by the way, which is oh scary. No, he's
2: just exactly the same.
1: How is that possible? Scary he, shit. He didn't age at all. Oh, God. It's scary how much he hasn't aged. Man. But he was, uh, he was super nice, too. Uh,
2: yeah, just a, once again, just a really, really nice guy that was really, you know, great to the people that came up. I mean, even when I was talking to him about it, Three other people came up and joined the conversation about it, and he talked to everybody. He wasn't asking them, oh, I'm talking to you. Let me see your money.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know what you're thinking, guys. Why are we talking about this? Because this is important information to have if you're going to go out and go meet somebody to know if they're a bag of dicks or not. So we might do this more often, do do convention coverage about who is cool and who is not cool. But you...
2: I agree. This is a good idea.
1: Yes. You know who else was cool, though? We got to meet uh T- Tim Kazarinski, who who you may know as Sweet Chuck from the Police Academy series and Saturday Night Live short they head short set on there, and uh he's pretty awesome. S- Sue Sue got to go to some kind of what, like a reading or something or uh
2: it was at the Music Box Massacre before they got rid of it. Um, mm. it was the anniversary. I can't remember it. Shit. Uh, I don't think it was his death. Maybe it was his How am I drawing a blank on this? I know a lot about Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. But Stuart Gordon put together this reading. Tim Kazarinski did Annabelle Lee and The Conqueror Worm. And Tim is, uh, he's, I hate saying short, sure, but he's...
1: Uh, he, is, he is a tiny man, though, too. but he's, he's big on heart there. So there you go.
2: Yeah, but I have never heard... Even large people belt the way he did when he was doing those readings. I mean, when he ma- said a word, you felt it in your chest. So amazing. Yes. And he's also, one, he's got great stories. Ask him about his friendship with Bobcat.
1: Yeah, it was great. That was great stories of him by him and Bobcat. And they're still still friends today. That makes my heart feel fine that they're still buds today. Yep.
2: And, oh, oh, just he's once again. It may not. It may take you a second, but you know, just take your time. Go, go talk to him because he is hilarious.
1: Yeah, one of the folks we had a long conversation about, which I'll save some of the, our, her stories for. Again, got her email address. We're going gonna to talk to her sometime soon. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing some more of this stuff. Uh, Leslie Easterbrook, who uh, some of you know from Police Academy, as uh, Lieutenant Lieutenant Callahan uh buxom woman, uh, woman of my dreams as a child. She she was a, <laughs> still a very good looking woman as, as an older lady. And of course, uh, horror fans may know her as Mother Firefly from the Devil's Rejects. Not 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 a not Karen Black's replacement, but uh, Karen Black's uh, predecessor, if you will. She she did real fine in that role. Um, I think she, she
2: was the only thing about that movie I liked.
1: Yeah. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> i'm joking stuff, but yeah yeah but she has some uh-huh. great stories for us great great person S- smile and talk to everybody and uh spent a lot of time at her table talking to her and we're gonna get uh get into more and more of that when i i hit her up for that interview because she has she has some great stories for us people and i want you guys to hear them and uh well, one of which is about the rejects and i thought it was phenomenal but um suzanne what'd you think of her
2: Oh my god, she was so sweet, and I love the fact she asked me about her eyebrows. Yeah. One lady to another.
1: <laughs> That's a frame of reference that I have no idea what that is. In a...
2: Well, I, hey, I had the same thing with Ashley Lawrence.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> two, two very beautiful women, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to her again about, yeah, her and time she... in... What's she right said right?
2: something that, that I really, really appreciated the fact that she hates charging for autographs, yes, and well Sid Higgs is
1: the same way, he has to charge something though, like like you know like she said, and
2: and she said she'd never charge more than twenty dollars, which is the minimum, mm-hmm. just because she she enjoys talking to people, she enjoys meeting people, and that means a lot. The fans it really does i mean it's like you get that she was the exact opposite of john cusack who didn't want to be there she was having fun and she never shooed anybody away you know you may end up having to wait while she's telling some stories but you know what she includes you in everything she's talking about
1: you're engaged for sure yes oh who else i'm leaving people out and i don't mean to do this um, they-
2: oh oh god you forgot Don Wells.
1: Yeah, yeah. See, the, the Hollywood show is basically Chicago's version of Chiller Theater, but on a much smaller level. It's, it's little. It's literally a room, but it's very intimate. But they tend to get a lot of old movie stars there and TV stars. One of which was Shirley Jones, which was a not, not you know. I, I had to I had to do that because I saw The Music Man when I was like eight years old my grandmother. And of course the Partridge family, and of course later on I I, I had to mention Grandma's Boy because I I love fucking Grandma's Boy. She, <laughs> was, she was hilarious yes, in that movie. Yes, was. Uh yeah, but she was awesome. Our our time was short there, but you know she she's a she's a slightly older lady now. She has to be in her eighties, but she was very cordial with me, very nice to everybody. That's very that's again for courtesy to to, to your fellow. Your fellow person, your fellow human being, is, is always great.
2: Yeah, we're not asking for a lot.
1: But uh, once, like Suzanne mentioned, the Don Wells uh, picked me out of, out of the crowd and yes. uh, complimented my beard. You know, which is always which is always nice. You know, how long taking to grow that? It's so like I did I did trim it a couple of years back, but it, it it grew back like like a weed. You know, and uh, I I got Don Wells' picture signed, a very cute one, and. She insisted on the second picture to grab my beard, and I had no problem with that, because... Uh, and
2: so then she's like, uh, she asked me to take another picture, because I think she wanted to funnel your beard more.
1: Yes. She's still a very attractive woman for an older lady, and I, I have no problem with that, you know. I'm not going to tell you about my first Hollywood show I went to, where I got to meet, uh, I got to meet Barbara Feldon, which is like my first crush ever, which is uh, Agent 99, that was a rough day because I met her, Pam Greer, and Lonnie Anderson in the same day. So that was that was rough. But oh wow, yeah, that was a good show, Sue. Martin Damn, Landau, how did Martin, you control yourself? Martin Landau was there. Van Williams oh. was there. Oh it was, god, it was an amazing day. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not this kind this day, but yeah, there were some other folks there that I would like to meet. Great dealer tables there. Stuff that you wouldn't see anywhere else. It, it, it's like a, like a big show like I went to the next day. I found a, an Aesthetic Sean Penn autograph for $25. That was the buy of the day. I'm, I was so happy when I found that It was real. That was amazing. Oh, it is real? It is real, yeah. My buddy checked it out.
2: Nice. Oh, you forgot somebody. Who did I forget? Andrew Prine.
1: Yes. I, I, I forget. Because that was our very last meet because we almost forgot about him. And that would have been, <laughs> that, that would have been shameful if we forgot about him. Yeah, um, he was
2: my main draw for the show. Yeah, John Cusack was going to be there, but I'm like, oh my god, Andrew prime And well, if you've if you ever watched anything in the 70s and 80s, TV, movies, he was in everything. You know, for the more modern things, you'd probably remember him from The Evil. He was in Next Generation. V. V?
1: Yeah.
2: He was in... This. He he's, was in so many things, and sadly, he had a stroke, and it did not change anything. He, he, he was just kind and sweet and just very nice, and the piercing blue eyes are still there, and the big, beautiful smile. So that was the highlight of my day. I just enjoyed spending some time with him.
1: I, I don't I don't know his work as well as Suzanne does and as X does. We 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 got him a picture to to, to send to X and, and Cootie, Cody, and they, they love it. They saw a picture of it already, so they're they're excited to get it. But uh, you, you gotta you gotta recognize these these legendary genre actors and for what they are, and they're 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 fade away. So I, I told Suzanne one year I missed the Hollywood show and Ernest Borgnine was gonna be there and. A few weeks later, I, I missed the show. I mean, a few weeks later, he he maybe like a couple months later. I forget how long. It wasn't very. It was a very short time. He passed away. So if you're if you're thinking about going to a show like this or like Chiller Theater where they have a lot of old Hollywood people there, and you want you really, you really you really you really want to meet them, just just do it because you you know you you can't take it for granted how long people are on this earth and the fact that he came there and he stuck it out. His his lady was quite a help to him. I'm sure. Oh he, yeah. The autograph was real nice. It wasn't shaky at all. So he, he took his time with us and with everything. And my God, w- what what a man, And you know, de- didn't have that, that kind of dedication. And I, uh, I know Suzanne was very, very not upset, but she was like, they were, they were happy tears when she met him, you know?
2: Yeah. I, I have seen him, like I said, I lots of stuff from the seventies and eighties. And I, like, I just. He, he was in everything, I, from television to movies, uh, Day of the Animals, just to name another one. Oh, not Day of the Animals. Uh, Grizzly. Sorry. Grizzly. Yes. And yes. just a fantastic actor. And I, I'm i so sad that the stroke really affected his speech because his wife, he was trying to tell me, you know, about... We were talking about horror movies, and certain ones were my favorites that he was in. And she's like, oh, my God, yes, I know. I hear the TV in the middle of the night, and he's watching some kind of gory movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! But, Yeah, for from there, uh, Suzanne didn't get to go with me on, on Sunday to C2E2. I, I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah, exhausted, and yeah, I, get, I, 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 I get in for truth told, I get it for free every year because my friend of mine is a vendor, so it's a pricier ticket, but I never have to pay to get in, so that that that's to my advantage, I guess. But um. So who did you meet? Uh, who did I meet there? I met Alicia Silverstone, and she was she was lovely. You Usually, like, the first con, either they're really into it or they're really not into it. I happened to catch her on Sunday when she had an already exhausting weekend. She looked very tired. And I, I said, you look very tired. Are you okay? And she said, yeah, real long weekend. Was, I'm sure you could spent she's probably spent time with her co-stars. It was a clueless reunion there that included Paul Rudd and Donald Faison and Brecklin Meyer and, uh, I'm sure she hasn't seen these people and in, in, interacted with them in a long time. And I'm sure they were having good times all weekend. But even in, in her this uh, she, she was she was very earnest. Lacking stuff at her table, though, which is uh, a bitch that I have. But this is her very first con, so she only had, like, that promotional fi- picture. But the British guys behind me had extra Batgirl pictures. So kudos to those guys for, for hooking me <laughs> up with something better than she had at her table. My only gripe is that, that that's it. But she was a lovely person. It's people say don't meet your heroes or don't meet you know people you have crushes on. But I had it bad for Alicia Silverstone. She's still pretty good, pretty good looking as as a probably getting close to middle age now. I guess you would call it mid mid forties. You know. Oh wow! But,
2: middle age now too.
1: I wouldn't say that. You say she she's older than she was in those Aerosmith videos, Suzanne. You know.
2: I know. I know. I know.
1: Yeah, but yeah, she's still still very attractive, and uh, so there was that one of my favorite shows of all, television shows of all time, uh, came about in, in the early aughts that nobody watched except for me and, like, a handful of other people.
2: Hey, I watched it, too, and then they kept changing the night on me. Yeah. That was after Of course,
1: crazy. after I went off the, the air, everybody was watching, freaks and geeks, and then wondering where more episodes were, which I scold those people. and I told I told these two people this. I met John Francis Daly, who plays Sam on Freaks and Geeks, and of course he was on Bones and is a filmmaker in his own right now, and Martin Starr, who's been working since Freaks and Geeks has been over in many, many things, including Silicon Valley, and the picture that Suzanne made me, not made me, I got it for her, uh, Dead Snow 2, Red vs. Dead, he was in that movie as well, but Martin Starr's been all over the map, uh, both guys are gracious, they both are wearing Cubs hats, you know, I could take that or leave that, but they did win today the Cubs, so there's that. They they scored like twelve runs, but which means the final score.
2: score And they'll they'll, they'll score about
1: they'll score about two runs tomorrow. That's just uh, the way the Cubs work. I don't know.
2: (laughs) One of my bosses who never is in anything other than a a collared shirt, Mm -hmm. was in a t shirt today. Mm -hmm. It's Cubby's t shirt. It's Cubby's t shirt. Never seen a man in anything but Collared shirts mm. until today. If
1: yeah, they're both very cool, very happy to be there, and uh, that's always important. He signed. I had a. I, I got a picture off uh, John's table of the three uh, three guys together. Sam Levine was not there, unfortunately. it Would have been an epic reunion. But uh, <laughs> Martin signed on it. Uh, I'm not a little girl. I'm the Bionic Woman, and I love it so much that you wrote that on there. You know. <laughs> Because if you see the Halloween episode, that's what Bill dresses up as—is the Bionic Woman, and it's it's hilarious. And uh, God bless you, Martin Starr. You're uh, you're a wonderful animal. <laughs>
2: yeah. He's a great actor. He's he just does a little bit of everything. I love him in Silicon Valley, just because he's funny as shit in that. Mm-hmm. And Red vs. Dead.
1: Yeah. Oh, some other ones. I added a couple, a couple of Power Rangers to my poster. I know, just geeking out over here, people. You know, but uh, I met Amy Jo Johnson again, who was the original Pink Ranger. So I was spitting all over again. She's all but five foot one, people. She's really, she's really short. Five foot two, five foot four. Compared to me, I'm like a, I'm like a behemoth compared to her. And uh, she's always lovely. Uh, Austin St. John, original Red Ranger. He was kind of surly but nice at the same time. I can't explain this. I've heard stories about the man not being so nice, but he was nice to me. So there's always that. Uh, Timac was back again. You know who Timac is? He is the last dragon, Bruce Leroy. And he was in the house again after a hiatus of a couple years of not being there. Again, nicest guy you ever want to meet. One of the most ageless guys you ever want to meet because he looks about the same. And uh, I got to hold the medallion people. So that's pretty dang. I reached that up a level and I got a picture for the auction. So look for that this winter in the Fleas & Flix charity auction. A signed Bruce Leroy picture. Um, what else? Oh, oh, how could I forget? Uh, one of the one of the greatest wrestling minds of all time, Jim Cornette. Yes, you guys may know him as the guy in the suit jacket and the tennis racket. But let me tell you, if you haven't dug into the, the, the Jim Cornette YouTube mythos, you want to hear Jim Cornette just unload about everything that goes on in wrestling? Uh, you're missing out. Because Corny will lose his shit about everything. And he told me flat out that he doesn't work for anybody, so he doesn't care. And I love, I love that about Corny. Corny just just digs in. Like, Send you know me
2: this YouTube channel.
1: I will. Like, you know what they're doing now? Let me tell you why it's wrong. And you know what? He's 100% correct. Oh, my God. That, that was about that was about C2E2. That, that's a bigger convention. That's a. Like, um. So literary slash entertainment convention, they're all they're all multimedia shows now, and and you could have met some wrestlers there. They were there. I I didn't do that. Uh, my my funds were limited, but you know what? It's it's always a, a good spread out show. It's not bulked together, you know. So if you ever want to find a good Comic Con in March and in, in in Chicago, C2E2 is a good way to go because a uh, nice selection of people, nice selection of stuff to buy. Sunday's always a winner. You want a convention tip. Here's two that I'll give you. And this is kind of a beef too. If you're going to go meet your comic creator, don't put a hundred books down on his table for him to sign because that's just a dick move. So just just don't do that. I've seen it. I've seen it before. And they always look at him like, yeah, I guess I'll sign all these books, but you're still a prick. And they have every right to think so. Just like Rob Liefeld, who's the guy that, that uh, made Deadpool and X-Force. Was there charging a hundred dollars to sign certain books because the CGC grading was on site and he knew that they were going to have them graded? So why not charge a hundred dollars? Because you're an asshole. Just, just, just think about it that way, Rob. You're a fucking asshole for doing that. That's and a dick move. It's just, it's just real shitty. So that th- is those a are the, total dick move. And of course, uh, the the biggest thing. Uh, I'm 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 guilty of this. I, I put on several applications for throughout the show because. I'm thick. I'm hairy. I sweat. Deodorant is not an option, people. I mean, it's always an option. It's it's not. It's not something you should have on necessity. It's something you gotta have during a show because it's standing in line. You get sweaty. Yada yada yada. You gotta. There's have a lot of people. It. You gotta have it, man. Swamp ass is evident. Again, guilty. You know. When I was a young warthog. You know that kind of deal. <laughs> Yeah, I found my aroma like the certain appeal. I can clear the savannah after every meal. Sometimes I can do that, people. And yeah, I sweat and I apologize, but I don't apologize because I'm a hairy motherfucker. But why did we talk about all these conventions? Uh, By the way, my next stop is Heroes and Villains Fan Fest in a a few weeks. That's coming soon. But the fandom uh, plays a big role in the the film we're going to talk, we're going to review called Life After Flash, which is, we're going to get into that the review when we get to it. But uh, it's a documentary that came out about one Sam Jones, the man, the man after the man portrayed Flash Gordon in the year of the Flash, the year of my birth, 1980, uh, produced, of course, by Dino De Laurentiis. And, um, and uh, the, the life he had after, of course, his, his big fall from that, you know, his life into low-budget indies and drugs and women and all kinds of stuff. We'll get into all that when we get into the review. But first up you're going to hear two interviews, uh, one with the film's creator, Lisa Downs, and one... Get ready for it, Sam Jones himself, uh, Flash Gordon himself, from the film, and from Flash Gordon the movie, and uh, he's a mountain of a man, I can attest to this, so you'll feel like less of a man when you meet him, but I hope you love him after this interview like I did, because I was was so smitten with old Sam. He He laid some truth on me, that, uh, I, I, I didn't know I needed. It's kind of like when D. Wallace told me to get my shit together. i got a lot, long story, but D. Wallace does these little YouTube live videos sometimes where she's trying to do, like, her affirmation stuff. And she, in her most kindest way, the most kindest D. Wallace way, if you met the woman before, she's a saint, told me to get my shit together. And I, I, I took that to heart. I took what Sam said to heart during this interview. And uh, we'll get into the, the interview with Lisa Downs right after this.
2: Hey, did you guys ever notice that podcasts talk about the same movies over and over again? Yeah, as much as I love Friday the 13th, I don't need another show telling me how good it is. Exactly. Same thing goes for Halloween. It's a great movie, but
0: come on, there's other stuff out there.
2: There should be a show that highlights movies that everyone else seems to skip over. Like... Oh, I always wanted to talk about Absentia. And I want someone to cover the room. The Skeleton Key's a good one. Then let's just
1: do one. We can call it The ABCs of Hidden Horror. And we'll go through the alphabet, talking about our favorite horror flicks that get ignored.
5: Great idea! I know what my first one's going
2: to be. Join Brian, Dave, and me, Jamie, for the ABCs of Hidden Horror on the Horrorphilia Network, where we might discuss some of your neglected favorites, or introduce you to
1: something new. Hello folks, and uh, welcome to a very special interview with a, uh, I think it's a pretty awesome filmmaker. Uh,
5: Thank you. Yes, I'll take it.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> she, um... Is a documentary filmmaker who made a lovely documentary called Life After Flash with uh, the man himself, and uh, I'm excited to introduce this person. Lisa Downs, how are you?
5: I'm very good, from sunny old Britain. Thank yeah. you for having me on your your show.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Uh, it's an awesome documentary, and I'll uh, first off ask you, um, is it all you do is documentaries, or have you done um, any non-documentaries?
5: Uh, this is my first feature documentary. I had a background in uh, producing like travel documentaries early on in my career. Um, and then a few years ago I had done my, I directed my first scripted feature um, called Just Eight, which was um, about a young chef with bulimia. so totally different topic. Uh, but this was my first feature documentary, but it's definitely the medium that I want to stay in. Uh, now I am here. <laughs> Finally, it took a while, um, but no, I really enjoy it. But I have I have dabbled in a few different areas, but uh, definitely features is where I want to stay.
1: Cool. Yeah. Are you a fan of of, of Flash Gordon? That's how you got into this whole thing to to do this kind of subject matter. You had to really throw yourself into the to, to the arena here, and you are. Uh... I mean, oh, I'm sorry. You
5: have you have to be like I don't think if you, especially with independent film, you have to really love the subject matter, whether it's a scripted film or, you know, documentary, because independent film, I mean, it's really hard. Um, so you, you're really the only person that's going to love it the most. Uh, and you have to have that motivation and passion to keep going because there are massive hurdles. Um, there are amazing times. It's, it's an incredible feeling to have it finished, but there are a lot of hurdles. So you always have to really love what you're doing and, And I, you know, grew up with Flash Gordon here in England. So I loved the film anyway. Um, And I didn't set out to make a film about it. It kind of stumbled upon my lap. Uh, we had a a mutual friend of mine that also knew Sam from a previous job had just kind of mentioned that she'd worked for him. And I had said how amazing to do a film on him. I I don't know what he's been doing since flash. Uh, and then we got to talking and then I wrote a pitch and then it kind of happened that way. She put me in contact with his agent at the time. Um, so definitely the excitement was there from loving flash Gordon at the beginning. um, and yeah, you you know it was it was a film that I wanted to see, so I en- enjoyed making it, knowing that it was something that as a fan I wanted to see, and hopefully I had done justice to the film. <laughs> you know, it's such a Flash Gordon has such a, pa- a passionate fan base um, that you know I was a bit worried about what people might say when it came out, but hopefully it's well received.
1: Well, well, I'll tell you this: if so this means anything to you, the, the first time I watched it, a lot like a lot of my friends watched it was brought to us by Mr. Ted Turner on the Shit. TBS uh, test station here in the States. And it was always like a Saturday morning thing that I would eat with my, my, my sugary cereal. Cause we're fat Americans. And yes, guess, guess, I, I guess I watched this with my sugary cereal as a fat American. And nice. I, it was like all these years later and all these stories and my favorite things to do when I go to convention, I go to a lot of them. If you look at my profile picture on Skype, I changed just for you. To myself. My, I was
5: gonna comment on that. Yeah. It's my, brilliant. My,
1: my brother X and Sam, which was a joy to meet, and we met him in Knoxville. And um just, just sitting there wa- watching and telling people have people telling me stories about stuff that happened. That's that's what this was I'd say about seventy percent of it was just like be my chunky ass eating cereal. Uh mm-hmm. listen to them tell me stories about one of my favorite things in the world, which is this goofy sci-fi film with the banging mm-hmm. soundtrack and Oh.
5: Yeah, I know how I hear it. Like, it, it's interesting. Um, I had never seen it on the big screen uh, until Beyond Fest. We we did a few festivals last year and Beyond Fest in L.A. screened it. And that was the first time I saw it in 35 mil. And, you know, I'd watch it on television. It's on television every year in England. So I had seen it a lot in my, in my childhood. But when I finally saw it on the big screen next to Melody, um, you know, so what a way to see it. Lovely. Um, it was... Like I sat there and I was like, I get it even more now, <laughs> you know, because all these people that we spoke to, uh, a, a lot of people had the same story. You know, I saw it when I was eight or nine with my dad and the cinema and the music and the colors, and I was like, you know, I, you know, I get that. Um, but when I finally saw it on the cinema, I just thought, I get it. <laughs> you know, it was quite a moment. No, I didn't have cereal though, so I, maybe I should have taken that in.
1: Oh, yeah, it would be amazing. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, some Captain Cap- Cinnamon Cruncher. I don't know. You have some crazy ones with marshmallows and stuff out there.
1: Oh yeah, I know the sugar laws are a little more, a little yeah. more plausible where you are. Crazy, you know.
5: Yeah, we I, just have like corn flakes. And, yeah.
1: I, I get, I get it though. <laughs> Trust bit. me. Yeah, you got a lot of the principal players, um, the the filmmakers and uh, the actors, of course. How'd you pull that all together? I was curious about that.
5: That is a great question. Uh, it was very much a mixed bag. Uh, I mean, Sam obviously I couldn't have done the film if Sam wasn't, if, if Sam didn't want to do it. Um, so luckily he said yes. Uh, Melody, I had met the first time we shot was in Laredo when we first met Sam, and so I met her there, and she is so lovely and just said, you know what, anything we can do to help, anything I can do, do you want an interview? You know, I'm there you know, it's for Sam that like brother and sister, they have such a great relationship. So she, she was fabulous. Um, you know, I live in the UK. So while it was a disadvantage to do a film about someone in the US, the fact that the film was shot here, uh, while I was trying to crowdfund, I would approach British cast and crew. So Some of them were quite easy to get in contact with, you know, like Howard Blake and Peter Duncan, who I don't think Peter Duncan's as big in the States. He's a pretty big um, TV presenter here, so he was quite fun to me. But they were just, to be fair, through their websites, you know, people like Richard O'Brien, Brian Blessed. I went through their agents. Um, The the biggest hurdle with people like Brian Blessed was his schedule. Uh, Again, he said yes because of Sam, but it just took two years to lock in. And then I got to the tricky people like Topple was, I mean, that took two years to find him. He was was one of the hardest people to get in contact with because he obviously lives in Israel. And I had a contact through Peter Wingard, who I found through a film fair. Um, He knew his London address. He was handwriting letters to the London address in the hope that it would be redirected to Israel. And eventually Max von Sydow's agent, connected us because they share the same agent, so you know everyone has their own little story of how I found them but there were some really really tricky people to find um, which was a strange juxtaposition to half of the people were quite easy to find so it was it was very much a mixed bag um, Brian May was tricky <laughs> to um, and he also took a long time to, to lock in because of his schedule. You know, we had it set up six times until it actually happened because we kept having to move it back because Bohemian Rhapsody, I think, was kind of happening at the same time. So he mm-hmm. kept going off to do that. So, yeah, it was it was um it was tricky to get people and and there was I felt this pressure of thinking you know if I release this film without Brian Blessed mm-hmm. that I would be lynched you know you can't you can't do that to a flash Gordon film and I really wanted to get Brian May and you know there are a couple of people that aren't in it um but I hope that I have enough of the other cast and crew to kind of support it enough that I hope that you don't really miss them.
1: No, it, it would be more awesome if if they were in the film. Of course, you know, yeah. it would have just brought to a, a, a next level.
5: Yeah, I then- really I really tried. I always I always get asked by people, "Did you did you try and get Timothy Dalton in the film?" Yes, I did. I really did. I really tried to get Max like every which way i could if i knew he was appearing somewhere i would try and get press passes for that event and you know i was tracking down family members on facebook and it was you know i really tried to get hold of the people but they all had their reasons of why they're not in it yeah. sadly
1: well i've heard i've heard the story on the on the dock about the the, the lamp store. <laughs> and it was just yes. yeah
5: <laughs> i thought i would put that in just as a little kind of nod to maybe why mm mm-hmm why he's not in it, you know, his attitude towards the film. Uh, but yeah, to be fair, his, his response via his agent was, I, um, I don't like to reflect on well, films. I like them to just speak for themselves in their own right. So I thought, well, whatever. <laughs> I,
0: very respectable. Like, yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah. It's a nice little kind of PR response.
1: I, I got to say, Brian May on the piano do, doing mm-hmm. the score I got chills and uh yeah. that's that's better than almost anything that's in that movie they made that the break Rhapsody to me. It's just him
5: oh, hey.
1: b- banging on the piano and just you you, you you never see that and anywhere else and
5: I know, I know. And also what was very cool is when he emailed <laughs> when he emailed, um which is still very surreal. Uh, to say, yes, he he would love to do the interview. He said, where can we do it? Can we pick a place with a piano? Because there's this bit in the song that no one sees because as you, you see in the documentary, it always cuts to Roger. Um, so he was really adamant that he wanted a, a piano so he could play that section. And it was just the most bizarre moment in my life. You know, it's because it's weird. You have to, I try and I try to detach myself a little bit just so I wouldn't come across as an idiot when I talk to him but then when you sit here and you play it's like not just your average Joe playing you know on a, a piano in the pub it's you know, it's like the guy who wrote the song um, so yeah that was that was a pretty awesome moment and so nice and then you'll see at the end of the film like he was like we've got a pinball machine have you ever seen it because he wanted to show the um, when you turn it on it plays the theme but it didn't work on the day but I lost if that helped. yeah <laughs> But yeah, that was that was a pretty
1: epic moment. My favorite parts of the whole thing, I don't want to give everything away because that'd, that'd be impossible. There's so much to, to look at because this isn't a film just about Flash Gordon, the movie. It's about Sam Jones, the man. And I think that's really important that he took all this time to, to, to share, you know, stuff about his family. I, I was gutted yeah. when he talked about his brother. I mean, I was... I, I, yeah. took, I took a second. Let's put it that way, because we, we, we've all had loss in our life, and that was a very, a very uh, important and very personal thing for him to talk about. And yeah, oh, and also
5: I think it's really great for you know a, a man to show emotions. You know, it's so rare. I think, and I'm part of what he wanted to have come across in this film is like to show people what he went through and be really transparent about it, so people can be inspired you know, to talk about what they're going through and that it's, you know, if he goes through it, you know, it's it, these are normal things. And, you know, and it was a really kind of cathartic process for everyone to to have that. Because some of those stories he hadn't actually told his family everything, um, particularly like with the brother. Um, so it was a way to kind of open that up to everyone. Yeah. So it was, It yeah, it was a really special interview and the film wouldn't have worked if if Sam didn't open up as much as he did and share his family and friends with us as well which he was very instrumental in he kind of scheduled everything for me and and said to them just tell the truth i don't mind what you say as long as it's honest and um yeah i was i was really i don't want to use the word impressed it sounds a bit lame but you know i really honored that he would do that for this film and i think it, that this is the only way the film could have worked you know and, and what's been really great is the amount of people who have now seen it and contacted me and, and as well as sam at Cons and said you know i went through the same thing like i it really inspired me it really helped me and and that's been really nice because that's the main thing that sam wanted people to get out of the film
1: mm-hmm. well plus you know you get you get really funny stuff like I, I can hear i can listen to brian blessed read the phone book and you just
5: yeah, you get some
1: great stuff out of them <laughs> And I oh, you should there, have seen I, what
5: I cut out. And- I was going
1: to say, what's on the cutting room floor? <laughs> I'm really curious now. It's, it's, it's-
5: yeah, well, on, because um, Cleopatra are releasing in the US, and there's a couple of, I think I put a Brian Blessed outtake on that, but in our UK release and Rested World release, I'm actually working on it now, um, there's a bunch more Brian Blessed stuff. So I'm trying to get it out as much as possible, no. short of releasing the whole thing, but he was just glorious to talk to.
1: I bought the digital version of it. I bought it right away because I. Oh, thank ago. you. But um, is the physical release gonna have extras
5: on it? The US, The North American physical release has about forty minutes of extras, and it comes out twenty sixth of March. Through okay. you can get it on Amazon.
1: Okay, you get some great stuff without without the cutout stuff, and I I think I want to be Peter Wingard now because he's just so cool.
5: And he was the coolest. He was just the coolest guy, like effortlessly. And he was very kind of old school Hollywood too, which I loved. So he was very theatrical. And if he was answering a question, he'd wait for action. And you know, in an interview, you know, we're calling action. It was very, you know, he was he was pretty cool. And it was it's quite sad that you know and special that he it, our film was his last on screen appearance, mm. um, which was you know kind of. Surreal and wonderful, but he was one of my favorite people. I adored him.
1: You said things are such such panache and class. Even when he, he talked about, I'm not going to give this away because it's hilarious. Why, yeah. he, why he needed a jockstrap for that outfit he was wearing in that movie?
5: Yeah. I know he was. He just and even the way he said stuff. He just was so grand and wonderful and everything you expect. You know the like a classic British theatrical actor would be. You know, he was—he would tell us stories of Lawrence Olivier and Peter O'Toole and Vivian Leigh, and you know, he was that—that that kind of Hollywood.
1: Nice. Now, um, you went to a lot of conventions for this. For you were just like, well, you went to a couple, but the but the big one that I saw was uh, the Alamo City Comic Con.
5: Yeah, I think we went to like five or six in total. Okay. Um, but Alamo City was definitely one of my favorites that I've been to, and I'd never been to a con before, so this was like you know opening my world um but alamo city would i mean to be fair everyone all of the cons were so wonderful with allowing us to go and film but alamo city um because we sh- we shot in texas a couple of times um texas has kind of a special place in my heart and alamo city and san antonio was certainly up there with my favorite place and favorite people um so that was a really great con to grab a, a lot of interviews at
1: I mean, it seems like, you know, you had Rob Rodriguez on there talking about his love for the film. I it's,
5: know! How this, crazy this, this is does that? not <laughs> surprise me
1: whatsoever. I've met Robert once. I've met most of the people in your doc, actually, because I've been doing cons for, like, I don't know, 15 years or something. Right. So I've met David Yost and Michael Rooker and um, yeah. Sean Gunn. I've met all these people, pretty much. And
5: yeah.
1: They're all classics.
5: Well, I love cons because just knowing the, knowing what you have to go through to try and get an interview via an agent, and you know they're doing their job. You know they're the, the gatekeeper to these people. Um, oh, I, know the cons, I know those people. You can, <laughs> yeah, and you at a con you can just go up and talk to someone and say, "Do you like Flash Gordon?" And I mean everyone on who's on the screen loved Flash Gordon. And how would I know that about them? And, you know, I, I would never get an interview with Rod, Robert Rodriguez if I just called up his agent, I'm sure. Um, I don't know that for certain, but I'm pretty sure. And, you know, it's just that they're so accessible and and it was great to just, you know, and then we had Sam there too, going up to people going, Hey, you know, if you love it, give us an interview and they was totally happy to do it. And you can see how much they loved the film. You know, they became fans and like Robert went over to the table and queued up and got this like Sam and Melody's autograph and paid. And, you know, it was really sweet to see kind of the reversal of it.
1: Well, it it, it does help that Sam's like 19 feet tall too. He's a very, very tall man and very, uh, not imposing, but uh, n- nice, but imposing. You know.
5: <laughs> yes, but he is. You know, he's exactly how you expect him to be, and he's exactly like watching the film. Um, a couple of reviewers have mentioned that you know maybe because he's talking about like him, he, he's telling his story with him family, and everyone's you know talking about. How much they love him at the end and what he's like as a person um, a couple of the reviews kind of mentioned maybe it comes across a little insincere but then they met him and then they just said it i totally get it now yeah you know he is exactly what you would expect and he's not just saying these things just for the camera
1: i mean for all the stuff he's been through i watched the the David Prowse documentary on that, they had it on Netflix about yeah. him going to the premiere and then thinking that his voice was going to be the voice of Darth Vader. And it wasn't and how yeah. and he was because of that. It wasn't as much a surprise to Sam, but you know, it's just still as his image on the screen. And I, I'd imagine that's something to proud of, but not to have your voice there has to really hurt your soul a little bit. But at the same time, he, he knows, he knows, you know, the 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 way he went and the way he went was incorrect in a way and you know I, I'm glad he, he has come to terms with that and has enjoyed the as is enjoying currently that the fandom that that yeah. it entails and this whole phenomenon or is Flash Gordon and.
5: Yeah, exactly. And you know what kind of a film would it have been if he sat there going, "Oh, I did nothing wrong, and I don't regret any, you know, don't regret anything, and I've learned nothing." And it was this person's fault and this person's fault. Like it would just, it would be a totally different film, and probably not one that you would want to watch. And the reason that I think it really works and it resonates with people is because he admits when he is at fault, which not many people do <laughs> these days. Um, you know, and he can see he can see where he went wrong, and he he used that and changed it. and and completely turned his life around you know when he stopped kind of looking at himself as being the most important person in his life and realized that his family and his friends and his kids were so um yeah you know he would have come across like a real asshole i think if otherwise
0: oh
1: when i when i read the story i I didn't know if it was a rumor or not about him being like this this hard-ass like border like bodyguard type guy i was like that just elevates him to another level for me just to think that, yeah, this is his job now as you know, kind of a yeah, covert I mean, security if you're gonna, guard.
5: If you're going to have another job, like when you're Flash Gordon, saving people from assassination across the border is pretty much the only thing I feel is appropriate yes. <laughs> for that. You know, but he does. He um he was really dedicated to that, like crazy hours, like getting up at three and then getting home at ten and then still writing letters to his family, like you know how much he loved them and like motivational quotes for them, and then going to bed and get up and um you know it was a ridiculous schedule. But now he he does do that when he's needed, but he he's um focusing on comic cons and more acting work now, which is nice to Very
1: see. Very nice. It's
5: um, a nice full circle.
1: Yes. They got another project coming up that I'm 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 definitely interested in. It's a documentary about the the boy who now, who's now a man from Flight of the Navigator.
5: Certainly is. What a great film that is.
1: what what tell us all about it if you can, or what you can tell us about it.
5: Uh, it's very early stages. Um, I went out to Canada to shoot with Joey um, or Joe uh, last year. Um, he has had, I mean, if you wiki him, like you Google him, you can see a path that he had gone down.
1: Yeah. He had trouble Um, the law. I saw.
5: Yes. So he really just has the most incredible story. And it's definitely a case of like, when you read it, you judge someone. And then when you meet them, you then realize you should never judge someone by what you read, you know, when you hear what really happened with it all. Oh yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm planning to get back out there this year. We interviewed the director, Randall Kleiser, who also directed Grease, who was crazy talented. And that was amazing to meet him as well. He has like the models of the ship in his house where we met him. Nice. Um, so that's the plan. It's still early stages. You know, we've got a little teaser up, but I'd love to have that out. I mean, if not late this, this year, early next year. But same kind of format. I want to, you know, there's so many making making of films that are coming out through crowdfunding that mm-hmm. I want the difference in these ones to have that personal story in them. It's, you know, so you really get to know the, the the key person from that film.
1: It's it's amazing, you know, how these things get made now. I remember for the longest time, there was a extra on the Creepshow UK disc called Just Desserts that I guess Warners didn't think that the fans wanted and a 90 minute documentary about their favorite film but uh we finally got it here like like 10 years later or something and you know it's like yeah this is awesome so I think it's awesome that you're taking the time to do this that, that you made this wonderful thing about, about Sam and Flash Gordon and uh that movie. Well, thank you. I
5: love. love I just that. want to celebrate Oops. them being so amazing. You know, I'm very much a nostalgic person, and to be able to kind of express what these films mean to me in this way is something that I'm super excited about.
1: And you know, Flight of the Navigator is one of those films that I watched probably more than Flash Gordon as a child because it came out. Mm. Involved. Well, I was born in the year of the Flash, 1980, but uh, right. I, I I watched Flight of the Navigator probably more times than Flash Gordon, so that excites me. It's a uh, one of those things that uh, one of those films that made kids like me hate the U.S. government and and yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe dislike Howard Hesseman. I don't know what that's about. I'm supposed to like that guy, Yeah. You know, and,
5: uh. yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, I'm eighty two, and I think what's great about that film is it I mean, for people our age, um, because he was he was like what twelve or fourteen in the film. Um, like you, you really connected with him. You know, it wasn't just a superhero that you want to kind of emulate. You he could have been your friend and you really just felt for him. And, you know, you felt like you were on this journey with him and then the cute, like the adorable puck Marin at the end and you wanted one. And it was just, Oh, such a great film. Oh
1: uh, boy. But, um, anything else you like to push right now? Uh, um, you can let, let it all the right now.
5: Uh, <laughs> no, I think I'll hold the rest back.
0: <laughs> okay. There
5: are, cool. there are a few other irons in the fire. Um, but, uh, navigator is the, the, the next eminent one. Okay. So I'll, I'll leave it at the flight of the navigator.
1: Okay. Well, I'm going to thank you for your time. And I, I think you guys should all go check this out. I know a lot of my friends are flash Gordon fans. I have a friend, Ricky Morgan. I got him a shout out right here at the show with his, with his, hey, Ricky. yeah. Called the hail Ming power hour. So that, nice. that's a thing.
5: <laughs> nice. Well, if anyone wants information like life after flash.com is the website where, we have links to like the North America, that the iTunes, and um, and then if anyone isn't in North America, then you can actually get the film on that site. So it's all kind of there. But yes, 26th of March in North America, it comes out on DVD and Blu-ray.
1: Excellent. I'll be I'll probably be buying the physical one too because I'm looking forward. To extras. Yes.
5: And it's out now on uh, VOD, on many platforms, I can, like I can, iTunes, Tulu.
1: I can tell you that's true, because I, I own plug, it. So. Plug,
5: plug, 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 plug. <laughs>
1: well, that's what you're here for, and to talk about this great film.
5: Exactly. Well, I'm really pleased that you liked it. I'm I'm glad that it's getting a really great response from fans, which makes me happy.
1: Um. But uh, thank you for your time, and you have a lovely evening.
5: You too, Mr. Indiana. Yes. Bye-bye now. <laughs> Bye.
3: Who are you? Flash Gordon, quarterback, New York Jets.
1: With us on the show is a a man who's who wears many hats. He's a family man, a protector of men, and most importantly, the the savior of the universe. Man, he's dealing with some some voice problems. So Sam Jones is in the house. How you doing, sir?
4: Fantastic. Yeah, I just got I got laid over in Dallas for about five hours. Didn't get until five five a.m. So I. Uh... I, uh, lost a bit of my voice, so, uh, I I guess you could call this either my strained voice or my sexy voice, so, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
0: man.
1: Yeah, I, we, we met in, uh, in Knoxville a a couple years back, me and my buddy, if you look up there, you can see our picture of me and my friend with you, and I, uh, it's pretty important that we met you, and I hope you come, my my friend, uh, X, and, uh, yeah, it was it was excellent. But um, we're here for the task wonderful. at hand. What's I'm sorry, sir? No, no. I said I said wonderful. Yeah, but we're here uh, for the task at hand. We're we're here to pimp your uh, your documentary, Life After Flash. I I got a question, um, couple questions. Sure. Uh, how are you approached about this? Does uh, she like fangirling out on you? Just say let's do this documentary about about you because
4: uh, it's pretty personal and you know, I, I'm digging it. Yeah, no, I I worked. I did a show for one of her friends called The Jump in in, in the UK, and um, and and she just did a follow up with her, and you know it, you know it, I guess it is kind of disconcerting when somebody says, "Hey, I want to do a documentary on your life." And my first reaction was, "Well, wait a minute, there's a whole lot of life left in me." Uh, but you know, once once we talked it through, and I talked to the wife. And the kids, and uh, you know, it, it wasn't really the same type of format as a reality type show. But it was, you know, I I learned real quick when we agreed that um, if you if you want to reach the people, you've got to really be transparent. So so this documentary is a it's a, a raw, transparent look into my life, and uh, I think I, I believe it does have some r- really good messages and I, you know, I, I talk about it. I mean, it's, it's wide open. You know, I, I, I sort of refer to it, Gary, as a, uh, as a do's or don'ts of life or do's and don'ts of life. And, uh, you know, I, I, I addressed, uh, certain significant choices that were in front of me, why I chose this certain decision, uh, the consequences that followed. And how I dealt with those consequences. So it, it's really, it, it's it's um, uh, it's got some impactful messages, and hopefully uh, the, the 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 viewers who watch it and uh, really receive it, uh, hopefully that they don't make the same mistakes that I did, and and on the other side, hopefully they'll they'll make the same good choices, the same wise choices that I did as well.
1: Yeah, it's really a wonderful redemption tale. Really, and I, I, uh, I, I know some of the subject matter was was hard for you to discuss, you know, and I'd, I, I got choked up myself, admittedly, when you started talking about your brother and stuff, and that that was a cool. That seemed like a real big deal, a real just to get that out there and into the open for for you, I'm sure. And oh yeah, wonderful, yeah, yeah absolutely, man. Um, yeah. then there's the the fun stuff in the documentary, because I I I have a lot of questions and. I we don't have time to get to them all, but uh, do you have any great Brian Blessed stories, like some some outrageous ones for, from the set?
4: Oh, he, he's I mean, it's you know every day, you know he's every day he he would steal the show. You know he just kept people entertained. Matter of fact, I will see him on Friday this Friday in uh, in Sheffield, England. Nice. we uh, we're, you know, we're, we're going to do a comic con together called Sci-Fi Weekender sci-fi weekender sorry about the voice again that's okay uh, uh but the uh yeah it's in sheffield england and it's gonna be this friday and saturday <clears throat> so whatever those dates are i'm sure yeah um i am not having fun of me but it's it's uh actually march 28th and 29th and uh yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun
1: this will be out before then so if you guys are out that way go ahead out to go see sam and brian and uh I'm sure there'll be a, a hell of a time. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Um there, Yeah, there's, there's um there's other questions. We I mean, something I've got time to get to. I I love to talk about Highwayman cuz I finally discovered what that was and I uh sure. Yeah, so much stuff. Do do you have a a
4: favorite role besides besides Flash? Well, I, I think my favorite project uh, only because it's I mean, obviously uh Flash Gordon is the triple that when I when I I refer to Flash Gordon as the triple blessing. And what do I mean by that? Well, the first blessing in the business is is just, you know, getting hired, you know, being hired for a project. The second blessing is if your project does well. And the third blessing is what we're talking about. It's longevity. You know, it's longevity. I mean, we filmed Flash Gordon 40 years ago, and we're still talking about it. But the, the, the highway man was probably my favorite as a guy because, you know, I got to dress up like Mad Max road warrior. I got to carry a big, uh, sawed off shotgun strapped to my leg. I had a, I had a license, a federal license to do what I wanted and I drove an 18 wheeler. So, and, uh, on top of that, uh, we got to shoot outdoors in the Arizona desert for six months. So, I mean, it was just—I uh, mean, it was—it was heaven, you know. This—this this seems like when I
1: was watching it. This is a show that should have succeeded. When I was watching, when it, for when it came out, it should have succeeded. Had a lot of stuff behind it, and it was. But every time he got out of that truck, I think, oh man, his knees must be so sore. Just jumping out of that truck, you know.
4: That's funny, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, but you never know. I mean, in the business, you know, you get especially television. You got multiple. Uh, people to please. You got the network. You got the studio, and you know, it is what it is.
0: Oh man,
1: um, I gotta ask because I've had unpleasant experience with this person. And uh, people, though, that are notorious for not 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 downing her, but just telling folks to steer clear of this little lady. What was your experience with Linda Blair like? I, I gotta ask.
4: Oh no, she's wonderful. Why? Well, uh, have you? I mean, I, I had a great experience with her. She's
1: she's, uh, she's nice to some people and genuinely rude to people at those conventions sometimes, and I I don't know if it's I, I can't tell you for sure what it is, but I had to ask because I never talked to anybody that, that 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 actually worked with her and how that
4: worked, and uh, uh I I had to ask. You no, know, well, no, I mean she was wonderful, and I'm I, I'm I'm very cautious of people that say so and so is rude. I mean, uh, yeah, for instance, I, I I get this every now and then. You know, when we were shooting Ted, and, but let me just clarify, with Linda, she's wonderful. I've never, I did a movie, I did a film with her, I've seen her at numerous Comic-Cons, and I, I, I can't tell you anything but positive stories about her. But, uh, uh, I, but I'll give you the examples, maybe it falls in the same category as this. Um, when I did Ted and Ted too, um, you know, months later or years later, Now, during those two big, big budget movies, there were a lot of people on the set There were friends of friends, which I don't agree with. I I mean, to me, it's a work environment. I don't care how big the budget is. You should only be there. You should only be there if you're working, if you're a friend of a friend, uh, unless you're bringing value. That work environment, you, you need to stay away. So, here's what I'm getting at. So, I've had a couple of fans over the past couple of years say, Yeah, it, it, um, has Mark Wahlberg always been a, a mean person? I said, What are you talking about? I said, I worked with this guy, two films, and he was the most humble, gracious actor I've ever worked with. And I said, I said, and So then immediately I started to ask them questions. I said, Why were you on the film set? Yes, I was. Were you working on the film set? No, I wasn't. I was there because I was a friend of a friend. I said, okay. I said, what do you do? And uh, he said, I'm an engineer. I said, how about I show up at your work environment and I shadow you all day long and I watch your attitude no matter what you do. And if you look at me funny, or you didn't take the, you know, because I acknowledge you, I called your name and you didn't take the time to engage me or I'm supposed to think that you're uh, that you're a mean person. I said, your your job on the set as a working person is to focus on your task at hand, uh, especially on film, because film does not lie. And you, you need to put 100% into that. And now if there's some... So I guarantee you, if you were on that set and you looked at Mark Wahlberg and he didn't respond to you, I guarantee you, you were in his space, and you were bothering him. So basically, it's safe to say that you were there to uh, distract him and, and, and get him off of his game. Uh, and, and you shouldn't have been there. And that's <laughs> that's that's how I address that. Yeah, I mean that's you know I don't I don't bring my family on the set anymore unless I put them to work. You know because first of all, my focus will be. Oh my God! Is my wife taken care of? Uh, or is my son? Is my daughter? Are they treating them right? I mean, so why in the world would I invite that burden and that um, and that hindrance onto me when I've got to, I've got to, I got to give us my priority is to give a spirit of excellence in my work and not to be concerned about some friend of a friend or even a family member on the set. So uh, let that be a lesson for anybody in the world who's visiting uh, a set. Yeah, Let them, you know, they heard it from me. This is a work environment. So don't test actors or artists in their space of creativity. Yeah, that's that's uh, my answer. Oh, I get
1: it. You know, because I've never met him myself, but I know he has a, a, a way past reputation which is, I'm, I'm sure I hear is preventing from building those burger places in certain places. And, you know, that's 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 the old him. I've heard nothing but positive things about him, like from people that walk around West Hollywood or something and have met him before. They sign things for them, you know. Sure. I've heard nothing but positive things about him. I mean, look, look, look at Christian Bale, who had that one blow-up on set. You know, he's been having that shadow over him for since that happened, but we, we all have our bad days, you know, I, yeah. I, I, blow up, you know, more than I should. Uh, I'm trying to make it my, my goal in life to not get my blood pressure up so high sometimes with certain
0: people,
4: because yeah. they're not really worth it, you know, but, uh, it's, <laughs> we, yeah. we all have, we all yeah, have our I bad think, days. Well, well, I think everybody's worth it. We just, you know, it, it has to be addressed, you know, uh, whenever we address anybody, whether they've made a mistake or whether you know it's it's just uh, it's you know they take offense. Uh, our job is to encourage them in what the truth is, and even if we have to fire them or reprimand them, we, we better end the conversation by building that person up because you know it's it's the human condition, Gary. That's what it is. It's the human condition, and uh, uh, and you know our our job is to build people if we're, if we're not. If we're not built down, it's just that simple. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: you've had a lot of help, you know, when you're, you know, coming up from from where you were, which were by the church and stuff. Which I I I, I endorse the church. I'm not a church going person myself, but I I respect people that find solace in the church, you know. And I'm sure that helped yeah, you quite well, a bit in, in, in your strong family. Your granddaughter's beautiful, by the way. I I, every time she came on, the sky watches like five times. She's very, cool, she's just yeah. adorable, you know.
4: That's one for you. Uh, well, you know, you know when church starts. I mean, the church itself on Sunday is a building. Church starts after Sunday service. When Sunday service is over, that's when the real church starts on how we, on how we deal with ourselves and how we deal with people. That's really what the church is about: is serving, serving the needs of other people. Uh, it's great. It's great to have the building. I'm all for it. Uh, because we we need a place to go to sharpen one another, but uh, I hope the people that listen to this never forget this. But church, the real church starts after Sunday service is over, and you know from Sunday night all the way through to the next Sunday morning. That's when church starts on on how we you know on how we deal with people. I, yeah, res- no.
1: I respect that statement, sir, because there's so many people. This is the reason why I don't go to church is because there's those kind of church people that put on another face when they leave church. And, you know, that's that's not always a good thing to believe yeah. in. You know, yeah, I
4: agree. Yeah, we it's you know, I, I my favorite saying of all time, as corny as it sounds, but actually it's not really corny. It, it's just so prophetic and, and so wise is by Billy Graham. It's what Billy Graham says, Gary. He says, preach, preach the word, preach the gospel every single day, and at times use words. Isn't that incredible? Preach the gospel every day, and at times use words. So what he's saying is, stop talking so much, stop quoting scripture so much, and just demonstrate God's goodness by maybe keeping your mouth shut. Isn't that incredible? Oh, is it, I mean, it, it, it's, it, a, it's a wonderful
1: concept, Sam, but a, yeah, lo, a lot of folks it, don't follow that concept. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I love it. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's,
4: a, it's a life-changing statement. It really is. Oh, my. You know, now, I mean, what you do. I'm sorry. Yeah. You had a brand-new no, no, fandom,
1: you know, with, with, with Ted coming out, I'm sure, and then Ted 2, respectively. You know, yeah. what's it like to have, like, that, that other generation of fans enjoy your film? Man, I, I enjoyed your film because it was on TV so much. I made a comment sure, yeah. to uh, Lisa that Ted Turner would run it like almost every Saturday morning. You, you would see Flash Gordon on TV, so that's 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 where I was just just watching it on TV. In
4: yeah, what's, what's this new group of fandom like? Oh, it's wonderful. It's that it's that younger age demographic, you know, that I never had well when I was young, of course, yes, but you know, it's the past couple of years. It's been my age, the 60s, and then of course our children's and our uh, in their 40s and 30s. And now Ted and Ted too, uh, uh, you know, invited uh, or actually brought this uh, younger, uh, this this younger fan base in. It's it's wonderful. So, the and and I love it because you know the, the younger generation, they they, you know, they pretty much uh, when they make up their minds, they make up their minds, and, and they pretty much can find truth as long as they stick to uh, free. Uh, critical thinking once they, anybody, once they start getting into group thoughts, it's a big, no, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's very confusing, but any, I'm, I'm not trying to get political. I'm just talking about any choice in life. Fine. It should not be, it should not be based on group thinking. It should be free critical thinking without anybody's influence. you trying to figure it out yourself, but get, but get me back to, uh, so here's what I learned with, with the younger, uh, with the younger age group. The, the ones that had not seen Flash Gordon or could not remember, you know, didn't see it, but but they knew, okay, Flash Gordon. If they couldn't see they always referred to it as, you know, that band, uh, you, you know, Queen, uh, Queen who, who, who did the music for that superhero movie. So it really showed two things. It showed the impact that Queen had on the, still has on the younger generation and how Queen not only, complimented the movie flash gordon but how it brought tremendous value to the movie and we're talking 40 years later so it's incredible it really is
1: it still plays on my headphones a lot to sam the, the, the soundtrack alone and uh it's 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 still pretty phenomenal and seeing brian play the piano on the documentary i, I got i got some goosebumps and it was uh it was something you know
4: oh yeah it's yeah. I mean, and he and he gave some great insight into that, didn't he? And yes. Freddie Queen, the first rock opera soundtrack for a movie. I mean, yeah, fantastic. My gosh,
1: um, how much time we have left? But I love, I love to hear any projects you have coming up to tell the folks all about, and and uh, where they could find the Blu-ray uh, on both sides of the pond here, sir, which I know is coming soon.
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean. Uh, I mean, right now, yeah, right now, uh, the, the the documentary "Life After Flash," which is incredible, not because I'm in it, to anybody, but the the experiences and the messages are extremely powerful. Uh, so, uh, "Life After Flash" right now is on Hulu and iTunes. At the end of the month, it would be on Amazon, and then you can get it uh, DVD. Uh, uh, I, I believe right now, if I'm correct, I think you probably know this better than I do because uh, I've been so slam dunked with uh, with movies and work, is um, in the UK and Europe. I think you can get it on DVD there as well. Um, and then, of course, we, we have a, a, an incredible movie called Silent Natural. Uh, it's it's about the first deaf major league baseball player in America uh, named William Hoy. That took place in eighteen ninety five and I played his father. It's an incredible story. Uh and then we have a comedy horror called uh Edgar Allan Poe's Decapitarium. And of course, uh yeah, that's <laughs> then we have another comedy called What um, what is that called? That's called Enter the Fist and the Golden Fleece. Oh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and and then we have uh think we, we have a psychological thriller. And then we have, uh, a, what is that? Oh, I played a hitman in an action picture called Accelerator, Accelerator with an A. So, yeah, we have a lot going on, a lot of movies. Uh, We've got some movies in development, of course, too. And uh, I'm, I'm traveling the world doing a lot of these comic cons. Uh As long as I can keep my voice, you know, I got, again, I got tied up in, five-hour layover and uh, screaming, of course, but screaming in a good way. You yes. know, I, I, I like to entertain the fans at the airport, too. So I was screaming uh, good things, and how much I loved them at the airport, I end up losing my voice. So, you
1: know, that's... <laughs> well, I, I see you have a Days of the Dead uh, Horicon date coming up. Are you going to make it to the Chicago one in November? I'm 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 hoping. I got my fingers crossed here, Sam.
4: Yeah, I, well, I, I, I we're still working on that one. I might have a a, a conflict in the date, but uh, I I believe I'm doing Indiana right for for the days of uh, Days of the Dead, right? I think it's Indiana, right?
1: I, I think so. I, that, that's a new yeah. one. They, they they started a new date for that, so I'm a little lost okay. on that one because they had a few and then they, they they're adding new ones. They have a new showrunner, so. I imagine that's why they're oh. making all these moves, but um, uh,
4: I don't know. Are you talking about Are you talking about Days of the Dead? All the different, uh, all different cities, talk- all the all different yeah. cities. They've had a new cities since the last couple of years. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to uh, to working with. Um, oh God, I don't want to say. Is it Bill? Is it Bill? Yes, yeah, Bill. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for your but, time, Sam. I uh, think, look, I'm sorry. Yeah. So
1: I think the owner—that's uh, his
4: name. His name is Bill, if I'm not mistaken,
1: right? I think so. Yeah. God, if
4: I get that name wrong, he's going to be very upset. No, that's okay. It, it, <laughs> yes, yes. His name is Bill. Yeah, that, that's correct. Good. Okay. Oh, good
1: airtime. Yeah. It's a very, very. <laughs> uh, I, I've been to the show and in a couple of cities, and it's a very reputable show. And I love, I love Days of the Dead. It's a, it's what? like a family environment, but they like the party, and I'm by. I, I, I have two beers done. I'm 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 out, so I I don't do that anymore. You know, so um,
4: always always good to keep your wits about you. Yes, always sir. Good. especially if everybody else is not keeping their wits about them. Somebody has to be, you know, uh, eyes on your situational awareness. You know, I mean, uh, I guess I used to say I'm a former marine, but. Once a Marine, always a
1: Marine, you know? And thank you for your service, by the way. I've had to say that before. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, my friend. I know we're... I'm sorry. sorry. No, it's fine. I know we're running out of time, but, um... I want to thank you for, for, you know, being an inspiration to people. I mean, if you watch the doc, they can see it, you know? just, Just how you built yourself up with the strength of your family and your own convictions, and, uh... I, uh... Yeah, it, it, it makes you want to be a better man, just watching it, because I, I, have, I have my own, you know, anger issues and frustrations sometimes, and I'm not always the best man I can be, and, you know, it makes you want to be better, Sam, and I, I appreciate that.
4: Well, I, I appreciate that, and I and that's a great close, too, because, uh, um, you know, I guess I could just add to that, so why we want to be better men is because, yeah, I mean, look, and I can only speak for me and the other men that I've hung out with, is that we always want things now and right now. And, but, but what I had to learn, and I'm still at work, a work in progress, is that this magical thing happens. Uh, yes, if, if I tell my wife, hey, I want this, I want it now, yes, she'll give it to me right now, but she won't do it with a spirit of joy. So here's the deal, guys. Here's the magical thing. If I put her needs first in everything, this magical thing happens. I get anything I want, anytime I want. After I put her needs first, and she does it with a spirit of joy. So not just our spouses, but with anybody and anything. If it's a if it's a business deal, if it's a or you know using great uh, business sense and and wisdom, but any any anything that has to do with the human condition. If we put other people first, and a lot of guys will say, wait a minute, Sam, that's you know that's a sign of weakness. I said, no, it's a sign of humility, and humility complemented with a great godly authority is not weakness. Humility is actually the greatest strength that a man can carry. So in simple terms, if we put the needs of others first, magic happens. We get anything we want. Anytime we want.
1: Isn't that's that cool? a, that's a wonderful message, doing part Sam and I. My I, I, thank out. you for that. My my listeners, thank you for that. And um, um, one more time, life after flesh, uh, and all those other projects that he just mentioned that are coming soon. But uh, go go catch them all. I I would recommend them all because it couldn't happen to a better fellow. You, your your successes, sir. Thanks, sir I appreciate that, man. Thank you. But, um, uh, thank you. For, oh, God, I'm sorry.
4: I, I, yeah, I apologize about the laryngitis. But, no, no, uh,
1: no, no. You're yeah. okay. All right, good. But uh, thank you All for right, your buddy. time. And, um, there you go. hopefully we'll uh go up the road soon. Hopefully talk again soon. I, I would love that to, to find a couple projects that you've done and stuff you're working on that you love to push. You know, I'll, I'll keep in touch with Lisa about that. And we'll, uh, we'll
4: get together soon. Okay, man. Looking forward to it. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bless you, sir. Okay, you too. Take care. Bye-bye. What has life after Flash been like for me?
3: When I first saw Flash Gordon, it changed my life. Flash! I love everything about Flash Gordon. I remember every single bit about that film. I would have been pretty little the first time I saw Flash Gordon.
1: I love when they put the hand in the thing and the bug bit him. That frightened me as a kid. You can see why George
3: Lucas wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie. You can see Flash Gordon's fingerprints all over Star Wars. Flash Gordon's tank top. This is a Hawkman blaster. Immediately, the queen chorus comes right in.
0: I already had this thing in my head, this sort of boom, 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 boom. It is a comic strip and therefore they are. Uh, one-dimensional. You have to care for the character. I think I've been quite nervous about it. It was fun. I couldn't breathe.
4: The only comic book I saw was at uh, Dino's house. Melody, it's Dino. As
0: we look around for one years. No star really impressed us a Well,
5: you always knew when Dino was there. My
0: advice was,
2: you know, not to get involved in a confrontation with Dino. He lost his family. He lost
4: his place in Hollywood.
5: Sam is a man who struggled.
4: Who wants to hire a, a bitter, angry actor who's blaming everybody else? And I just got up in his face, I said, stop it, stop it. You know, all the tabloids are coming out, you know, saying, oh, where's Flash Gordon been? And
1: we had
2: little kids and I
4: said, you've got to do something else. Our weapons are usually concealed.
1: It's harder for them
4: to go and explore other characters because everybody just wants what they love. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you got to separate your personal life from your movie life. I don't know how you do that. They became those characters, and they were iconic to the to the world.
0: It's much better to be typecast than to be miscast. Sam is the definitive Flash Gordon. No one could play better. It's one of those iconic roles that won't hey they stand the test of time. People dying on their deathbeds, please say Gordon's alive.
4: Gordon's alive! Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> That's how we roll. 61. All right.
1: Uh, Life After Flash is a documentary, they say it came out in 2017, but literally just came out this year, uh, yeah, the, the, the DVD came out uh, this past Tuesday as we're talking right now, so if you guys have access to that, and access to your digital libraries, go go pick it up, it's really awesome. But I'm going to ask, uh, this is basically a documentary about Sam Jones, like you mentioned, and uh, his role in Flash Gordon, and a lot of great talking heads in here as, as, as the actors from the film and his friends and family. A lot of great talking heads in here. They got, oh. guys, they, got, they got Richard O'Brien, for Christ's sake. That guy's a weirdo, I hear. But this is directed and written by... Well, it's written by... Well, I did to ask her about that one. Lisa Downs uh, put all this together. She has also something pretty cool coming out. If you guys, if you guys heard in the interview before, I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. But uh, this stars all kinds of stars. Brian Blessing shows up. Topol, loverly, shows up. My man, Peter Wingard. I love that guy. Melody Anderson... Anybody that's in the movie, with the exception of, like, Timothy Dalton and Max von Sydow, show up in this movie. And, again, she tried to get them, but, you know, she, she couldn't get them, But I don't think that really hurts anything. So, I love this thing. I'm going to ask Sue what she thinks about it.
2: Name one documentary that I have not just fallen all over. And this one is particularly special to me. I discovered this movie when I was maybe nine maybe 10 and every time it was on HBO and it was on HBO a lot in the day. I had to watch it every single time it was on. This is what I thought all comic books were, even though I don't think it even had a comic run. I think it was a, it was a twenties at thirties radio show.
1: I want to say it was a serial and then a a radio show then a serial. And then it had like a, a strip, I think a comic strip.
2: Yeah, I I have been in love with this movie for longer than I can even remember. Right down to the soundtrack. After I saw it the first time, and my mom watched it with me because she loves sci-fi. My mom loves sci-fi and horror, so thank you, mom. And we went to the mall, and we she found me because I I had to have the soundtrack. It's like, oh my god, I love the music. I love the music, and she took me to the mall. And bought me the Flash Gordon Vi- soundtrack by Queen on vinyl. I really wish I still had that. I love this movie. The sights, the sounds, it's just such an awesome movie. And seeing, you know, Sam Jones, you know, the one thing that he said is he got some real bad advice that was incredibly detrimental to his career, which is really sad. He, my only thing I could say uh, as a sidebar to that is there's a good chance he might've gotten typecast, but I mean, oh, come on. He doesn't want him to be the quarterback for the New York jets. God, they needed a quarterback for since Namath.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I love this. I loved hearing him, I guess, basically humble himself because that's what he did in this. He got some bad advice. He made a lot of stupid moves did a lot of stupid things and realized that he really fucked up and he's so humble about it. I mean, you really actually get to see who Sam Jones, the man is. I even remember, I think he was briefly on first and 10, this uh, show that used to be on HBO.
1: I'm mildly aware of it. It's about football, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And even though I had no clue what I was watching, it was about football. So I was watching it. And I probably shouldn't have been watching it at the age I was watching it It was a
1: little dirty, wasn't it? Oh, it was was all yeah, it was it was
2: very late night and very dirty. But I just I, I really liked it because it just brought a lot of those memories back to life for me. Like I said, it's one of those movies that you'll never forget the first time you watched it. And you won't forget the 10th time you watched it. I've seen that movie. I watch it a couple of times a year. It's just, it's so, it it's stunning. I can't believe it was made in 1980. I'm glad it wasn't made now because it would be all crappy CGI. And you just really get to see the heart of who Sam Jones, the man is. Lisa did a fantastic job
0: on this.
1: Yeah, it's edited together really well. I I, I I really I watched it like five times by now because I I just enjoy watching it. You, you'll enjoy hearing these people talk. Uh, oh God, you, yes. The, the the late Peter Wingard, you you old debonair pimp, you. I, I love that guy so <laughs> much.
5: He played. Uh,
1: of course, you get some good Brian Blessed in here. Who it's, it's always it's always good to know, from the way he tells it that this is something he loved since he was a boy. So the fact that he got to play. Voltan, the, the the king of the Hawkmen, it, it, it was like a, a genuine joy to him and it all shows up on screen but just the fact that you know that that he has so much love for the source material just from a boy just makes the, the boisterous uh, blessed all that much more lovable and you know, if, if you didn't love that role then you, you gotta love it more now because you know that he loved being that character and, Oh,
2: and now he played that character to the
1: hell's Man, he having so much fucking fun, and I love the fact that nobody really has any like ill will about anything that happened, except for the fact that Sam was was uh, was dubbed. He didn't come back to loop his lines, so the voice you hear in Flash Gordon is somebody else entirely. So, so the the man the, the man Sam Jones in the film, but the voice is not his because yeah, like like Suzanne said, he, t- he took some bad advice from some people. He crossed old Dino De Laurentiis, who has, has, had forgiven him before Dino passed on, which is always a, a good thing to hear. You hear it in this movie.
2: Yeah, it was cathartic for him.
1: So ever since then, and uh, I wouldn't call it. Uh, he's made, he's made stuff that I've enjoyed. We we, we discussed uh, something I discovered on his, his IMDb line, a TV a short little TV show called uh, the the Highway in which she plays like a Michael Knight in a semi truck, and uh, that's that's kind of dope, and um. I vaguely remember that. The episodes are on Vague- YouTube, people. They're on YouTube. You guys should go check it out because there's he's got a big gun. There's aliens involved. There's all. He has a a spunky Australian partner in that, in that show. That's fun. It's, this it's, was
2: this was kind of shown about the same time that A Nights was. Like
1: I don't know. This was this this was like mid '80s. This was like mid like um it was made by it was made by Greg Larson, who was who was right after who made Night Rider. So this is made like okay. right after Night Rider was over, probably, or soon or soon right around there. Anyway, enough of Highwaymen. Go go check it on YouTube. It's there, and you guys you guys should watch that shit. Cause it's awesome. Um, they do a real good job of capturing like this. We talked about the conventions, the way the way fandom works, you know, because you really wouldn't know until you went to one of these how much how much love you get. I mean, Burt Reynolds. Was doing cons at the end of his life, and I, I've heard from from people who were around him that he never felt more loved as he was just meeting the fans, that they're the real deal fans. And Sam's got those aplenty. This cast has those aplenty, and it's all captured with a lot of great talking heads. Alex Ross shows up who does who does that great Flash Gordon artwork. Robert Rodriguez shows up talking about his love for flash and which, which even even goes back to childhood and talk about him. they recreating the, the spiked floor scene in the living room. It was,
2: Oh God, that is like one of the best
0: parts.
1: Just him talking about that. Like, yeah, he's, he's a, he's a fan just like us. Although he wanted, he, he'll admit it, but Tarantino won't. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't want to take jabs at the man, but I'm going to Rodriguez is infinitely cooler than taking Quentin Tarantino. And in, in that sense,
2: um, yeah, I, I love Quentin, but sometimes I think Quentin sucks his own dick.
1: He does. He does it a lot. His neck must really hurt from that shit, you know. Oh, uh, let's not talk about neck pain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Melody was real cool. Richard, Richard O'Brien was real cool. He says a line in here. You mentioned about, you know, being typecast. He says, it's better to be typecast than miscast. And he, had, yes. he, he hit that spot on with that line. And... Sam is perfect as Flash, and he he he's embodied that person. Now he's even even when he was in his, his down, it's it's good to get into the real life stuff in this thing. I don't want to give any all of it away, but Sam, even at his worst, he, he tried to be a family man, and even even now he's got great relationship with his kids, and he's uh, with his grandchildren. He's he's a great family man now, and very caring person, and very into, into and. Looking past himself and being you know a much better man than than I could hope to ever be, you know could listen to that well, I mean people, he go, hit the revival listen to the damn interview again. it's great, you
2: know I mean he realized the error of his ways but was still you know smart enough to start mending those fences. Like I said the one thing that really stuck out to me in this documentary was the fact that he truly humbled himself, yeah he could have been all you know beating his chest and bitching and whining about things but now he realized that he made mistakes he made a lot of mistakes and all he wants to do is make up for those mistakes
1: yeah and it, it really really showed and i'm really um so glad really... he has so, so many great things coming up for him and i i, I don't think it could, could went to anybody better you know because he really gave himself the 180 in treatment and really made himself better through his, uh, through his life, through his faith, through his family, through everything. Just, uh, made and it wasn't, better.
2: Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, I've seen a lot of these and a lot of people just do lip service, mm-hmm. just saying what they think everyone wants them to say. And they're truly horrible people. Yeah. You no, know, was Sam really, like I said, he just humbled himself. I was not expecting that. I was expecting, I really am not sure what I was expecting when I watched the documentary. I really wasn't. But I just, you saw his ups, his downs, and the big turnaround. And he does things, I mean, I've seen Lance Hendrickson do this. You know, there's people standing in line outside waiting to get in, and he'll go up and he'll talk to everybody who's waiting in line to get in, you know. When Pat and I were waiting to get into flashback the first time I went, Lance was going to all the people standing in line and said, hey, guys, you're going in? Cool, you know, I got a booth in there. Come over and see me. Nice to see you here. But just being a really genuinely nice person and saying hi to people.
1: There's only two people that made me feel like less of a man when I shook their hand. Uh, one, One was Sam Jones. And the other one was Barry Boswick, so you know, I just if that, if that means anything. to you, that, that Boswick is a yeah. is a mountain of a man, and
2: I've heard he's like how how tall is he? Cause he's,
1: I'm, I'm... He's, he's taller than me. He's a good he's a good six foot six and I'm, six foot four. And you're only you're only like an inch or two taller than me. He's tall. I'm, I'm, I'm a good I'm a good six foot one, six foot, you know, right around there.
2: Yeah, Pat's six three. I stand. Yeah, about five, ten and a half.
1: Suzanne's got that Fletch thing going on. She's five foot ten, six foot one with the hair, you know. <laughs> <it's> just, uh, <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, Life After Flash is something I recommend everybody to, to check out. But I'll, I'll kick it to Suzanne. What do you give the, the, this documentary? What, what One out of ten, what do you give it?
2: Well, you know, I, I've I've always had a love affair with the movie. I've always gone back to it. I love this movie. But we also left out one important player in this documentary, Speaking. Brian May. Brian May, yes, yes. And yeah. once again, we've had... How many times has Bohemian Rhapsody been brought up in this yeah. podcast tonight?
1: And this is, this is definitely cooler than Bohemian Rhapsody, too, because you get to see Brian May... Play the score on the piano, and oh, I know. Like while
2: he's sitting there, it's like one-handed.
1: It'll it'll give you it'll give you goosebumps. Okay, you just let you know, Brian May playing that. The, the, exactly
2: the same as he did in the Bohemian Rhapsody video with Queen.
1: So great, right here. It says Flash. It says Flash Gordon, so it's definitely cooler than anything else, you know.
2: But Brian May was talking about the making of the soundtracks. Didn't he say it was like the last thing they did with Freddie before mm-hmm. he passed away? Yeah, one of and the things. There was, there, it was, there was a lot of emotion. And he said at that point, it was hard to get Freddie in the studio. But Freddie would go in, lay down some stuff, and the band worked with what he had. And especially, I think the funniest part was that love, the love, uh, what What the hell is, Princess? God damn it, why Princess can't remember? Princess Princess Aura and the love Princess Aura's love theme. And he just put this moody shit down and they pretty much left it. Yeah. (laughs) But it's, it's, it's fantastic. If you're a fan of the movie, which I am, we've hit a couple of things. I'm usually there's one thing I don't like. Not tonight. I, I, I really love this. And you just, Like, it was just amazing to see that Sam had truly realized that he had made a lot of mistakes and tried to correct those mistakes and did a damn good job of doing it. Good for you, Sam. I love you. It's a fucking... Okay, I'm going to give out another 10 tonight. It's a 10.
1: It's a 10. It's a 10.
2: It's a 10. It's
1: a a (laughs) 10. No, it's it's a yeah. I, I I love it a lot. I watched it five times. Like I said, and I I will watch it again. It's a great it's a great way to, to get insight on the man that you may never may have never knew. Great insight on some of the stuff from the movie you may have never known because there was some great stories about that about how much the costumes weighed and how Max von Sydow didn't know how to play the part. Didn't feel felt he didn't know how to play the part correctly and. Him scolding Sam Jones in a hilarious way. You know what I'm talking about, Suzanne. You know.
0: Oh
2: yeah, and uh, Peter Wingard was hilarious. He played oh, Clytus. He played,
1: played Clytus.
2: And he's like, he was a sex symbol in England. And he was like, why, why are they putting all of this on me? Just people are not going to see my face.
1: Just, just Debonair man. He's he's a, he was an amazing person. No longer with us, unfortunately, though. No, rest in peace. They got some great Peter Wingard stuff in here, though.
2: Oh yeah. Oh my god. And they promised him that Clytus would come back.
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: for Flash Gordon too.
1: Yes. He was gonna be
2: the star of Cla- Flash Gordon too.
1: Which didn't happen. And uh now. Like I said, I don't want to give you all the stories. There's some great stories about Brian Blessed yelling at yelling it at Peter Wingard, it's kinda great too. But uh me this is a great great redemption story, great film story, great stories in general about a man who truly deserves everything that he's got right now. And uh, you hear me, Sam? We love you, man. We love you, brother. We're, we're, we're glad you're still with us. Please come to Chicago. Yes, I, I, I mentioned that. And uh, this is a 10 out of 10. If you're a Flash Gordon fan, if you love a good story about about a man becoming a, a better man, uh, this is a film for you. Life After Flash. Go pick it up on, on U.S. Blu-ray and DVD. That exists. It's on all the streaming platforms at least here and in the U.K., and I believe the U.K. DVD and Blu-ray comes out in a couple of weeks. I could, could be 100% sure on that, but I know ours came out first, and then theirs comes out later. So very, very soon. But run, 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 run to go watch Live After Flash if, if you like love the subject matter. And I I got a feeling most of the people listening to the show do. I love the subject matter of Flash Gordon.
2: I know, I th- I always... Consider this a comic book movie, even though it was not really a true comic book. and I think this is the reason I have such an issue with comic book movies because it's not Flash Gordon. Yeah. And if you've ever watched Flash Gordon with me, I could recite the entire movie.
1: Hey Naya, what's up, baby? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! But yeah, that, that's that's about for this one. We hope we did we did it justice, Lisa, Sam, everybody involved. Go go buy that shit. It's it's wonderful. And sorry for all the cursing there, Sam, because I know you uh probably do a whole lot of that yourself. But um But right we after love you, Sam we love you, Sam, yes. And right after this, we'll be uh right back talk about some dead folks unfortunately and close out the show.
3: You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension of not only a film and sound, but mind. A journey into an auditory movie review adventure that must be experienced to be believed. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Doomsday Clock. You can extract the Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock podcast by either searching for WYCH on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device which, versus the Doomsday Clock, is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. So prepare yourself. The podcast ice is gonna break! (laughs) Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, Necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, No one should have to watch this movie. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could it's get out of her. It's unimaginable. Here. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie.
1: And now for the unfortunate segment in which we call we talk about some dead po- we talk about some dead folks in which we call the butcher's block. Uh, first up, and I, I'll mention this because many folks may, if you don't know this is uh, the name, you know the stuff he has done. Uh, Larry D. T- Larry D. Tillio T- 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 as a as a writer wrote TV and and, and lots of cartoons. Died of Parkinson's disease in 1971. It's a terrible disease, people. I it's almost as bad as cancer for me because I know there's no cure for cancer or, or uh, Parkinson's. If it's just really no for, for Parkinson's for sure. For cancer is pretty bad too. But let me let me do the quick read off of, of stuff that he made that helped make my childhood here. Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. Oh and no. He Man and She Ra. Both of those shows. Jason the Wheeled Warriors. Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Oh God! Yeah, that's right. I said it, babe. Centurions, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, the real Ghostbusters, Swamp Thing, the TV series, Babylon Five, Beast Wars, uh, the Transformers series. Willis was I'm of about. I had to mention it for Willis for sure, and for, for my own soul. But this guy worked on all these things. Not only that, you know, if you're if you're an RPG person, you know, he was out of work as 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 a writer, so he wrote. Some great um, multiplayer stuff. I don't know if you guys ever. I, I know the the last one, he had a hand in um, Call of Cthulhu, which is one of the one of the biggest role player games that there is, and won awards for this. Except he's, he's a big sci fi guy, he's a big cartoon guy, and um, those cartoons alone, I I still watch, I still love all these cartoons. Jason, Jason the Wheeled Warriors being probably my tops out of the stuff that he's done. I know it's I still love the real Ghostbusters. That's good, but it's it's not Jason the Wheeled Warriors.
2: <laughs> I've never seen Jason. I don't remember Jason and the Wheeled Warriors.
1: Jason the Real Warriors basically it's about a prince who's who who loses his father. His father gets lost somewhere, but the whole world is based around uh, oh what the hell is, I forget the bad guy's name, but they're all they're all based on plants and in in uh, they make they make plants turn into like vehicles that go. But the, the, the bad guys are all, yeah, they're all dealing with the plants, and there's, there's some mystical stuff in there, and there's a bootleg Han Solo in there doing stuff. Oh my with, god, this sounds awesome. And Wizards, and it's got one of the greatest theme songs there is. And I want to think uh, that J. Michael Straczynski worked a lot on a lot of the episodes, too. He did a lot of, like, those, that's oh, wow! In those days. He did real Ghostbusters, he did tons of stuff, and... Not the belittle This guy. Yeah, I'm but,
2: familiar with him.
1: Yeah, but he worked. He worked on a lot of shit. You got to look that up one time. The the rabbit hole. You'll find it's stuff that he worked on. Oh God, um, so I'm
2: gonna watch all of this and then learn how to talk to giraffes.
1: Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but great man, big bucket of wind, as Kevin Smith would say, when somebody dies. Uh, Beast Wars, and I will like with me on this. I'm not sure, but it's probably the best Transformer series it cool. ever was, and uh. So kudos to you, sir, for making my childhood a little bit brighter and a little more awesome. Even my adulthood is a lot more awesome. So I, I still watch that shit. I, I can't okay, really. I can't, with that. I can't really do He Man now because it's way too saccharine. And if you watch the, the Grey documentary on Netflix, you'll know why it was so fucking saccharine. But you know, here here we are. But um, That's okay. yeah. Next two are genre people that you guys probably hit like me, you know, like anybody else. One. One thing I'll bring up right now is Joe Pilato for sure, because he didn't act in a whole lot, but he played the most memorable role and I think, in 80s horror cinema as Captain Rhodes in Day of the Dead. He oh, wanted... shit, no! You didn't find that out? No. Well, all, this is like... also
2: kind of harkens back to something that Leslie Easterbrook said, mm-hmm. that, you know, they're, they, they're not big names. You no know, one... When...
1: Cares. It's all over my Facebook feed, babe. Everybody was talking about it. I actually haven't
2: been on Facebook in two days, so that oh, well, that,
1: that explains it because he died just recently. Oh, oh but, my god, that's terrible. But Joe, um, I hear was a, a mountain of a man. I heard he was just the the, the coolest guy you ever want to meet.
2: Oh I yeah, never, I remember that now. Sorry, <laughs> I,
1: I, I never had the pleasure of eating Joe. But I, I hear from a lot a lot of people on his timeline just talking nice things about him. And it's good to know that this 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 hard nosed mother who hated Bub the zombie and hated everything about zombies and he's running this fucking monkey farm, you know, and uh, he wants to know what the fuck you're doing with his time. Character like Captain Rose could be such a cool and nice oh, guy, uh, you know.
2: Yeah, I I I remember that now. I'm sorry. I'm. That's okay. I, everything is the past couple of days. Everything's kind of been a blur.
1: mm Hmm. Memorable as hell though, for the couple couple movies that he had, especially Day of the Dead, which I would I would argue is my, my is probably the last half an hour of that movie is easily one of the goriest things you'll ever see in a film. No, it's it's spectacular. And here hearing the stories that Joe would tell about <laughs> the, with the course of course the infinite scene at the end where the zombies are tearing him apart after Bub gives them the big salute.
2: After that, the the intestines, had, the refrigerator had lost power, and they were rotten. But they couldn't afford to get any more.
1: That's dedication. <laughs> just smelling that smell and just getting to. And it the,
2: the look on his face is truly
0: real.
1: Yes, that is disgusting. But um, yeah, Joe's great. Joe's no longer with us, so that makes that that puts a big hole in my soul. As as that's a horror fan, as an '80s horror fan, as a genre that fan.
0: Makes me so
1: sad. But uh, he say did, did very little as far as that goes. But what what a role, yeah. Oh God, that, yes. That role was was made for him, and you could tell that it was made for him. And if you, if you look up in his history, he was originally supposed to play um, which one? I think the Clooney. I think it was the Clooney. Seth, Seth Gecko. He was supposed to play, in from Dust Till Dawn originally. And there's there's screen, there's screen um, there's test footage of it of him playing Seth Gecko and I suggest you guys look that up because it's pretty awesome I'm not 100% sure what happened there but uh yeah imagine that Joe is yeah. as, as, as I love Clooney I love Clooney in the movie but you know if if, if Seth was playing played by Joe Pilato in that movie it would have been a whole different animal
2: oh that they definitely would have been completely
1: different cause the, the snark would have been and... there oh my god it, just imagine it would be great <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, I I have to admit when several years ago when the Blu-ray for Dawn of the Dead came out, I pre-ordered that. I, this is a long time ago, but seven or eight years ago, Something when like Shout, Shout Factory released it, no, that I was, pre-ordered um, it. That was you know, uh,
1: I've, Anchor Bay is the only American Blu-ray of that movie of Dawn of the of Dawn of the Day of the Dead. Yeah, that that's out. Uh, Day,
2: Day of the Dead. Yeah. That's you know what I meant.
1: Yeah, but he's he no. is he is in. Uh, the, I've got to, I'm holding. He, hardly... he is in one of those cuts of Dawn of the Dead, so I was kind of like confused there for a second though. What one of those four I, or five cuts?
2: I don't think I've actually watched the movie. I've watched the special features about twenty times. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to watch the special features, then I'm going to watch the movie. But the special features on the shout disc are just uh, amazing, and he, he goes into graphic detail about the cow intestine scene. I mean, you you will turn green listening to him talk about this.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, yeah, but last but certainly not least, we lost J- John Carl Beekler, and uh. Oh, you know, I know. If you don't know who that is, you should know who that is because this guy gave us some of the greatest monster makeups in the '80s, and the early '90s. That. Most marrow ones. You, you you want to do a list here, Sue, of stuff that Beekler did.
2: Oh my God, f- I would not even know where to begin.
1: From Beyond, Dolls, yeah. Reanimator, so many things. If you don't know who John Carr Beekler is, then you're not you're not a horror fan, or you just right. don't you just don't know what his name is. But you're aware of the things he's done. I'll never belittle people, but look the man up. He's done so many things that we could be here for, for, for 45 minutes talking about John Carl Buechler. and But I'm not going to do that. But he also directed some stuff too. He uh, He's the one that insisted Kane Hodder play Jason in his, in his very first uh, di- I think one of his very first directing jobs. Second I think because he directed Troll as well. But he um, directed Friday 3D Part 7 in which uh, he demanded that Kane Hodder play Jason. And I think that yeah, made Kane Hodder the stuntman into Kane Hodder, the, the character that we all know and love today. And uh, I always appreciate that because Kane's a good guy too. Again, never had the pleasure of meeting John, uh, and I feel kind of bad about that. But good and bad, he's uh, well, bad, bad in some eyes. I love Carnosaur.
2: A uh, Carnosaur
1: is fun. I don't care who you are, and I love. He he did the the, the the makeup effects for the Garbage Pail Kids movie, which is really stupid, but the creatures look really great. The 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 the, the, the kids look really great. Um, so many things. So uh, tell us about your love for Mister Beekler.
2: You had me at From Beyond. Yeah, I know. Lovecraftian. Yeah, I know. I I I I miss the days of physical effects. I miss the days when. People like him and Rick Baker and I, the, the countless others, you know, went above and beyond creating monsters instead of, you know, some dude in his basements. I miss those days. And all of these people are leaving us. The days of physical effects are practically over.
1: Well, in some uh, people's eyes, I, I still love to think that. There's create like we, we just got the new critter series which I haven't watched yet. I'm I'm looking forward to it. But it's from the guys that made Zombievers. And those <laughs> guys and those guys are still in the realm of okay, we, yes. we we need something gross and outlandish. Now how do we make it work on a physical level without without computers? And I those people are still out there, Sue, so I, I have faith.
2: Yeah, I know. But you know how I am about this subject.
1: Mm-hmm. And Naya agrees with me. Yes indeed. Naya agrees.
2: Um I, I I miss those effects. I miss, like I said, he's one of the few. He was one of the few that was left that still did this, and I'm glad that there's still some filmmakers out there that appreciate physical effects and will not revert to CGI.
1: Well, you gotta. I I like a mix. I'm not gonna lie to you, but you know, back back in these days when when he was working, you know, do, doing you know at the height of his career. It was nice to know that there was some some sick motherfuckers out there saying, how do we do the? Okay, here's something. Here's a concept. How do we make it work, and how do we make it really disgusting? Well, John Beagler did that well.
0: Yes, he did.
1: I still get really grossed out at at the pineal gland scenes and from beyond. Oh, I
0: know. Oh, God.
2: That little worm coming out of his head. Yeah. Oh, God. That... That was definitely one of those scenes that made your toes, Carl.
1: It's the little stuff, like the Ghoulies. I love the Ghoulies. He he made those and directed part three, Ghoulies Go to College, which is not a horror film. It's a comedy in every sense of the word.
2: But, yeah, you know, but the creatures were still hand done.
1: Yes, still working. Yeah, I, love, I love the dedication of, of somebody like Mr. Binkler, and I think that people like Steve Johnson are still working at it, still still doing physical effects and I love that these people still exist. And it's a big blow to to the to the world of horror that Mr. Beekler is no longer with us. Cancer sucks in every sense of the word, like I said. And if uh, you guys are still around, his GoFundMe is still going. This is very important, people, because his family are still looking for help to pay for his mounting doctor bills that he had and funeral costs and all kinds of costs because, of course, he wasn't able to work. For, for a couple of years there, for sure. Post there, a link for that. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. But, um... All right. Very, very important uh, to go donate to that. And, um... And wait a second hold the brakes. Me and Suzanne did a bad thing. We forgot somebody very important in this death segment. That passed away, unfortunately. Um, accomplished guerrilla filmmaker and a man we both love and I hope everyone listens loves, Larry Cohen, writer-director... All-time dude, uh, passed away. And, uh, we're all very sad for it. If you don't know who Larry Cohen is, check out this podcast and go find a whole bunch of Larry Cohen stuff to watch. He, um, I, I like to think of him as, like, uh, a, a schlocky, a more schlocky David Cronenberg, because he tackled a lot of stuff just like David Cronenberg did. You know, he, he tackled, you know, why you shouldn't have kids with it's alive, because you might be a fucking mutant or something, you know. He taught us that, you know... Jesus could be a giant space vagina in an alley, and God told me to. You know, that tells people that she,
0: she,
1: she, giant space vagina. He told us not to eat funky desserts, because they can be bad for you, literally eating from the inside and the stuff. There's so many more great Larry Cohen examples. Um, we all have our favorites. I'm going to kick it to Suzanne now, and uh, tell us her thoughts on Mr. Cohen.
2: Oh, my God. I just... I remember the first time I saw the stuff, because I believe that might have been my the first Larry Cohen movie I watched. I was like, oh, my God, what in the fuck is this? And I rebounded and watched it again. And then I kind of got more into I think my favorite Larry Cohen, though, is is definitely Q. I love that movie. I love the gigantic dinosaur bird eating people off of their penthouse pool that just makes me smile he was i just i I loved his style and it was it was very schlocky but it was like it was glitzier schlock than we get you know i mean i love lloyd kaufman but you have to admit his maybe not glitzier but maybe it's got a little bit more of that real feel to it
1: oh i wouldn't i wouldn't compare the two i love i love my uncle lloyd but like i couldn't compare him to larry cohen (laughs)
2: Yeah, I know it's 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 a really horrible comparison, but I just I you you actually felt like you were in the city, you know. It just had that because well, basically he ran out, filmed until he got chased off.
1: Well, see, that's what you got because he yeah, guerrilla filmmaker. Like I said, I think I yeah. think that uh, God told me to. He actually filmed during the Irish uh, the St. Patrick's Day parade, you know, illegally.
2: You know? <laughs> oh, it wouldn't surprise me. But he and he also was a he wrote. So many things too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Maniac Cop. He didn't direct any of them, but he wrote them. He wrote a lot of TV. He directed some TV. You know, I don't think he ever turned a job down.
1: They have Thank a bo- God. They, they have a box set of The Invaders at, at Walmart. That's calling my name. He 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 wrote the bulk of that.
2: Yeah, if you happen to catch that, uh, grab me one too. I'll let you know. All right, cool. But yeah, he was. He really brought a whole lot to whatever genre that he worked in. I think so. Anyway, I said, Q is my favorite and I do see in my future, I will be getting a, the big Q tattooed someplace.
1: You need that in your life, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I've
2: thought about it for a long time. Now I think it's just the time to do it.
1: Yeah. Much like uh, everybody else at these, these kinds, he had his stable of actors and certain things. He used Michael Moriarty a lot. And, oh
2: yeah, he um, Michael Moriarty was in his episode of Masters of Horror, which was, was that, a um, pick me up.
1: Pick me up, yes. Um, if you want a little more insight into the man himself, uh, the King Cohen documentary is cu- currently streaming on Shutter, so it should be pretty accessible to most of you who have Shudder um, to to watch it. And it's pretty great, you know. It's, it's much like you know a lot, a lot of Talking Heads. Everybody wanna see uh for, from from Yafet Kodo to Mr. Moriarty to even Terrereen shows up because she's uh amateur to say them's a lot that I love that Suzanne hates. So there, there you go. <laughs> I've talked about it many times on this show, but he he uh he made that movie. Oh Bone, which I've never seen. That's the Yafet Koto one. I, I have to I have to check that one out. There's lots of stuff I have to check out. This this happens when people die. You say, you know what, what haven't I seen that they made? Well, there's handful, a little handful of stuff that he made that I haven't seen, but I've seen, I could say I've seen most of his film work.
2: Yeah, yeah, I have too. I haven't seen The Ambulance in a long time, and I'm dying to revisit that one.
1: But that means that, you know, if you like a person, and you like their stuff, that means you seeked out more of their stuff. And Larry's one of those people that, you know, always had controversy, always had fun in his movies, you know? I mean, the, the stuff is, is, is a big play on commercialism, which works even harder today. I mean, they could... I'd hate to say it, you could remake the stuff, but you could make a movie like the stuff today, and it, it could be even more, you know, more prevalent oh, even, because of social media and stuff like that.
2: No, even the It's Alive movies.
1: Mm-hmm. Which everybody's done, like, that that killer baby, killer kid type movie, but that opening scene in It's Alive is something magical. <laughs>
2: Yes, it is. You know, they they may not be great movies, but I enjoy the hell out of all of them. Even Island of the Alive, which is just not that good. Mm -hmm. But it's fun. It's Mm -hmm. a fun movie.
1: It's better than Basket Case 2 and 3. I can tell you that.
2: I don't know. Basket Case 3, I've got a soft spot for because I had a bunch of soap soap actresses and actors in it that Mm -hmm. I used to watch.
1: Yeah. And Valeria yeah you're the man, and uh I had the pleasure of meeting him and and Eric Roberts in the same day that that was a hell of a day <laughs>
2: you know, for, uh, that, was, that just sounds
1: magical for for free mind you it, it was uh it was a great day, and Doug and Liam had got to have lunch with them, and I don't know ever told this story before, but Liam was eating some kind of gelatinous dessert, and Larry looked at him with disgust. I wasn't there for this, but they tell me that Larry was like staring at him while he was eating this dessert and <laughs> That just makes me smile, you know, because of the stuff that you know that you know looks like shaving cream in the movies. I'd imagine hits some sort of disgusting item, you know. But um, yeah, just just a good time. If you, if you have explored Larry's uh, filmography, much like Mister Beekler's filmography, it's vast and it's good, man. It's it, it's like a it's like comfort food on a Sunday afternoon. Just you know, if you're you're hungover or something, go, go turn on the stuff. You'll be like, yeah, this this is just a this is just fun, you know. Schlocky fun. I and just,
2: I still love, I, I still love Q though. That's my, that's my, that's my movie.
1: Yeah, love, love Q too. I love, I love, I love the claymation dragon just killing people. Oh, I know, I love it. David Carradine with a machine gun. You know, there, there's, there's, lots of stuff I love in this world, and that's, that's one of those things. And yeah, enough of the sadness. Uh, that's, that's our end of the road here, and I'll uh, ask Suzanne what she's got coming up.
2: Oh, we are, I believe, finishing up spring break next week. And I do believe the NFW is just, should be releasing The Ruins, one of the few movies that I think is much better than the book.
0: Very interesting so film.
2: Keep your eye out for that on Horrorphilia, And also keep your eye out, Nudie and I will be doing another pair of reviews for Bloody Bits. should be entertaining since we're not happy
1: with what we've seen yet. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, as you're listening to this, uh, episode two of Burning for Springwood, the Freddy's Nightmares retrospective, should be out and about by the time this comes out. Um, Out and about, as it comes out. If we record again another one on Sunday, I'm so behind on editing, but uh, Jerry Cortez, Mr. Venom from a multitude. People say, I have 14 podcasts. This man is, 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 so many fucking podcasts. But, uh, he's gonna be joining us to talk about one shitty episode and one episode that I have no idea if it's bad or not, but I know the one's really, really terrible. So I wish this was reserved for Doug, Doug Kelly, but it's not. Mr. Venom will be joining us for that episode of Burning for Springwood. Um, two drink minimum. I don't know, it's kind of on a hiatus right now. I'm, I'm still working that out. Um, what what else is there it's, That's about it, really. Twitter G W, Twitter instead of beef cast. No news to Fly a report. one on Twitter. File one on Twitter for Suzanne. Nothing else really to report here except for that stuff. But uh thank you for listening to this rather extended episode. Me and Suzanne went long on long subjects, long on Motley Crue's penis size. I'm sure you know, because that that dude steered a steered a boat with his dick once. That Tommy Lee, and that's entertaining.
2: Yeah, that's you know? that's definitely entertaining. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I um, always remember here at the Cine Beef Podcast. If you got beef, we've got the grinder. See you guys all day, all, all day, <laughs> all day long. <laughs> bye, <Bye-bye>, bye, y'all.
2: <laughs> Good night. <laughs>